0: eligible items only exclusions apply you deserve the truth the enemy is at
1: our gates the fight for humanity I look at your faces I do not see defeat no and I do not see surrender It's far from over you will not make that stand alone we have something the enemy does not we have heroes Halo new season now streaming exclusively on paramount plus
2: welcome in to the 2023. 20, North Carolina signing day class special, December 21st, 2022. Don Callahan, right there. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, Don Callahan. That's right. Live from the man tower. Clean socks, clean underwear. I am, of course, Tommy Ashley. Greg Barnes will be joining us because <laughs> Greg's always late. <laughs> Greg is the guy that you wait on. <laughs> and so he <laughs> will join us here in the middle. Don, th- this is a day you've worked for for quite a while, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly the last couple of weeks. But yeah, this is, uh, at least a, a, a full year coming, you know, we'll be working on the the next class starting pretty soon. So, uh, so yeah, working on this a bunch and, um, obviously following these kids a long time. So it's, uh, I guess they're, it, it's a, it's a formality basically nowadays, because a lot of these kids have been committed since the summer, but, um, it's the final, final step for those guys.
2: Yeah. So what's it been like, obviously with 2020 in the middle of COVID, 2021, there were a lot of COVID kids. Um, 2022 is still a little bit affected by, by that, but what's it been like for you actually being able to get back out on the trail for the past, you know, however many months covering these guys in person where Zoom sort of took over the world there for a while?
3: Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a type of reporter that I like to, to go on location to spend time with the recruit and their high school coach Um, in-state guys, they know my, for the most part, there are a a few exceptions, but very, very few of them for an in-state guy. I like for my first interview to be with them in person and to kind of explain what I do. So they understand just who I am, that sort of thing, because you know, you're a high school kid going through this process. I can understand this being a little weird, having a grown man (laughs) ask you a bunch of questions. Uh, and I always think it's good later on in the process to be able to put a a face with a a phone call because obviously later on after a visit I'm I'm getting up with those guys on um on their cell phones but yeah I, it's it's been so big for me you know during COVID we did have some seven on sevens that popped up and some camps that I was able to rely on to see some of these guys in person but there were a lot of players who did not take advantage of those opportunities. So this has been um, nice the past. I don't know. I guess it's been at least a year now to um, to actually be in person with those guys and and to meet with them and to see them multiple times.
2: All right. So that's probably going to be um, Greg Barnes at your front yeah, door. I'm trying to. I'm thinking <laughs> waiting to come in. Uh, no, that to, was
3: actually my kids leaving for school.
2: You have to. Uh, Greg will have to navigate the stairwell if you want to run get him. I'll sort of go over what we're going to do. But don't leave me long.
3: I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's here yet.
2: He texted me and he said he's here.
3: Is he? All right, then I'll run down there.
2: All right, so folks, what what we're going to do today is we're going to go through um, each individual player um, as their letters of intent come in, sort of discuss uh, what they bring to the table, their fit, their high school career, Don's experience, recruiting them, and, and then we'll go through, um, Greg will add the perspective of what they bring to the team and what they could possibly bring to the team. Obviously... Uh, Mr. Barnes is joining us from behind. Greg, are you ah, uh, are you retired or am I the retired one? You're the I'm the retired one. I uh, really,
3: they probably won't catch what he says. Yeah,
2: well, hey, it's great. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll do that as as the things come mm-hmm. in. Shout out to the folks that are in here joining us live already. It's going to be a fun day, a fun three hours. A lot to talk about. Um, Transfer portal action. Um, recruiting class one thing i yeah. want to discuss um, with one of our guests that'll come on if we can get them on here later is how the portal has sort of changed uh high school recruiting and, and sort of made it an interesting dynamic there um matt Bunn in the chat is this don's man tower yes this is don's man tower we are not on the couch we are across he's got uh three big screen tvs um, we've got four monitors here, so we've got the whole thing about to to blow up the inside Carolina banner that's on the thing. Don had an instruction yesterday to get a white tablecloth to cover the rest of the table, and and he managed not to do it. Let's uh, let me bring Greg in here, and Greg, we have three two microphones for three people, so we'll make it work. But um, this has been an interesting few weeks for North Carolina football with coaching changes with um, you know getting ready for a bowl game which almost seems forgotten and now here we are on signing day mac brown's fourth full class i guess but probably would we agree that it's the the least um exciting class thus far don is that fair uh
3: yeah i mean it's if you look at the prior three full classes they all were top 15 classes this one to be honest um be lucky to finish in the top 25 i think i checked last night it was number 25 exactly there's the potential to add one more player to um this class jordan Lewis is is announcing at 10 a.m which we're going to i guess stay on the air for right yep and um so that obviously will help boost the class a little bit but the problem is you have a lot of a lot of teams behind north carolina that will be adding to their class also and very likely will will uh, surpass UNC and knock it out of the top 25. So, yeah, so this is definitely a drop to what Mac has been able to um, to do the prior three classes.
2: So let's get Greg in here. Greg, uh, sort of your thoughts, not just on the recruiting class, but on the last three weeks or, or last month from North Carolina, basically since the Wake Forest game. It seems like the tenor around the program has changed a little bit. Um you know, Mac pushed the the ACC championship game as the thing that didn't really go, and then Longo leaves. Just an interesting time around North Carolina.
0: Yeah, and we can we can dive into this more with Don about kind of the quality of this class. But I think what Don will tell you, and if you followed recruiting for long, uh, this is kind of status quo: is recruiting is really a, an eighteen to twenty four month cycle, and so North Carolina's success or lack thereof, depending on how you're looking at it with this particular class, really stems from the losing record North Carolina had in 2021. When you go six and seven, the momentum that you had coming off of an Orange Bowl appearance uh, really, really drops. Uh, and that that makes it a little bit challenging. That's, that's the importance of winning. And uh, so when, when people start thinking about the Coastal Division title, that's really not going to pay dividends until next year. Um, and, and you know, of course, North Carolina hopes they can build off of that. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, Tommy, what, five, six years ago, I guess, uh, that we did not have a early signing day. We we had to wait to that first Wednesday in February for, for things to get exciting. And what that allowed you to do back then is you could get to the end of the season, and then you would have a couple weeks of the coaching carousel, which is always chaotic, and that was pretty much it. And then you'd go into bowl prep. You go into the dead period, you come out of the dead period, first week of January, and then you would have these big official visit weekends leading up to signing in day. Uh, and so there was like a distinct schedule for the two months after the, the regular season finale. That is no more. I mean, that is a thing of the past. And so what you have now is uh, the early signing period has ultimately become the signing day. It's no longer waiting to the the national signing day, that first Wednesday in February. This is the big deal, uh, and I don't think that coaches really expected that to transpire the way it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. Would you agree yeah. that coaches thought you could get some guys locked in who had already committed? Mm-hmm. Um, but what well,
3: Mac talks about that all the time because he was part of that decision process. Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm being picked up. Um, and. Um, that that basically the intention was guys who who were committed a long time um, and, and had no interest in visiting anywhere else, and then guys who were enrolling early. That was the intention, and now it's come to well, really immediately it came to the point where schools viewed it as the signing day, and anybody who wasn't going to sign then was basically considered a decommitment because they knew that once they went into January that kid was going to officially visit other schools and then all bets are off on of, of what ends up happening. So, I mean, what you're, what you're saying is exactly true and, and Mac um,
0: touched on that a little bit in the press conference. What are we looking at in terms of number the percentage of kids who are signing today? I mean, are we talking like 80%? Are we talking
3: 90%? We're talking really high percent. I, I don't know if I could put a number on it, but yeah. we're probably talking, especially now with the, I think in the past, past couple of classes we were talking somewhere between 80 and 90 percent but i think with the transfer portal we're talking over 90 percent because now schools are like basically like let's just focus on the transfer portal stuff i mean there'll be additions, high school auditions um, and there are some guys who who won't sign today um but it's the number is going to be so much smaller than what it was before before this season when the transfer portal became such a a force
0: Yeah, so Tommy, in terms of the schedule, this is just wild. And part of this is because North Carolina had a successful season. They won the Coastal, so they got to play in the ACC championship game. Uh, But they come out of the Thanksgiving weekend, and they have a, a standard game week preparing for the ACC championship game. So on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the 28th, 29th, 30th, and then the 1st, it's all game prep for Clemson. December 2nd, travel to Charlotte. December 3rd, it's a night game in Charlotte. They play Clemson, they lose. And then you get home early morning on Sunday the 4th. Well, two days later, Phil Longo and Jack McNeil let Mac know that they're leaving. (laughs) Uh, The day before, Monday, December 5th, the transfer portal opens. Uh, So you're talking about that was 15 days ago. So not only are you just coming off of a ACC championship game appearance, you lose your offensive coordinator and your offensive line coach. The transfer portal opens. North Carolina ended up with, what, 12 guys that jumped into the portal? Mm-hmm. Uh, right now there's roughly 1,200 kids who are already in the portal. North Carolina's uh, going to have you know, approximately, what, 19, 20 guys signed today? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a ton to have to deal with in a very short period of time. So it is, it went from not being that chaotic whatsoever to being just a mess. And I don't know that there's anything you can do other than moving signing day to address it.
2: Yeah. One thing Mac talked about on Monday at his press conference is that, you know, it's the hecticness of going on. You've got coaches out, you got players out, you got transfers trying to come in, you're having all these recruiting visits, um, it is madness. I mean, Sutis so at Carolina. I can't imagine what his month has been like. Yeah. I mean, it's constantly going. But the last month, I mean, it's got to be absolutely insane for him to manage it all. Um, you got Day Day Holland's jumps in the portal <laughs> and, then and then immediately <laughs> jumps out when he sees five of his other uh, roommates, DB roommates, get in, and he says, "Well, maybe I like it." And Max says, "You know, by all means, come back." One thing that I thought, and this was the funniest comment from Mac's press conference on Monday, and, and we'll get into the signing day and the portal of talk as we go along, but Mac flat out said, you date, I date. <laughs> and When somebody asked, can players come back? And, and a lot of – been a lot of talk on Inside Carolina message boards about guys going in the portal and then perhaps coming back um, at, at some later date, and Mac made that reference about the dating game. But he also said if a guy – Stayed, did not miss a meeting, did not miss a practice, was available for everything, all the lifts. Then he could certainly play in the bowl game, and then explore whatever. I'm not sure I agree with letting somebody enter the portal and then play because you're that, taking. I
3: was going to ask let... you guys that. I mean, what are your what are your feelings on a guy who basically because it was kind of weird. Now this is the opposite angle of it, but you know, I talked to um, Willie Lambkin who is committed to. Transfer to North Carolina. He's playing for Coastal. We him and I was funny because we had to schedule an interview in between his bowl practice with a completely different team and other obligations for his team. It just felt weird to me. Now it's kind of cool for UNC fans because they're gonna be able to watch him play and see what he brings to the table before he actually arrives in North Carolina. But what are your guys' thoughts on these guys? I mean, they're they're not on the team, but they're playing for Carolina essentially.
2: I don't. I don't like it. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm old school. Um, And after listening to Randy Clements on Monday saying, "Do they really love it?" Yeah, talking about players. uh, You know, I understand taking care of the guys. And Greg, you can expound on this a little bit. I understand Max' point about taking care and being a player's coach and looking after them. But I mean, if you're transferring and you're leaving that means somebody else in that spot is going to have to play next year. And we talk about how important bowl practices are, right? The games aren't that important, but the practices and all that leading up to it are a big deal. I just think, um, you know, I don't like it. And maybe I'm just the old guy.
0: I think there's, there's two parts to it. I think we've, we've clarified that, yeah. Don, right? I think there's two parts to it. Number one, Uh, I think before the portal, I think you had situations where there were kids who knew they were going to transfer. And depending on the type of relationship they had with the staff, uh, they would let the staff know. I mean, Max talked a lot about how because of the portal, they've had to have uh, kind of more upfront discussions with guys. Typically, that occurs during the bye week. But those conversations were, were taking place to some degree even before the portal. And so even though we may not have known that, Hey, this guy is definitely leaving. I think in some situations, the coaching staff had, had a pretty good idea uh, and they didn't necessarily just say, Hey, you're, you're done. You got to quit the team. Um, Mac makes a good point in terms of, look, I mean, this whole deal is, is supposed to be for the kids. Um, and I, if, if you're going to talk that game and you're going to talk about a, a 40 year decision and you want to differentiate yourself from some of these other programs that, that try to run strictly as a pro team, uh, then you've got to do some things that, that maybe don't make sense, but that are beneficial to the players. And I think that's what you're seeing is, uh, and I think Max is exactly right. Look, if you're going to come to team meetings, if you're going to be accountable, if you're going to be responsible and do exactly what we ask you to do and give it your all, I mean, you've been a part of this team. You're still a part of this program. Let's see it through. Um, now, the the other part of it is I would be shocked if any of these guys play for the reason that you mentioned. Uh, I, I see no benefit whatsoever in allowing these guys to actually play in the game, knowing they're not going to be back next year, and knowing that you've got guys that need reps. But that's different than letting them practice and letting them participate. And what that also does is that that generates goodwill because the guys know, hey, I entered the portal, but they're letting me hang around. And so whenever they go to another school or they talk to their buddies that are still in high school or their high school coaches, you know, there's a there's a good feeling there left by what North Carolina did. And I think that's part of the recruiting game, but that's also part of of doing what you're talking about, which is you're taking care of the kids and giving them the best opportunities to succeed, because sometimes you there's just not a good fit. Um, you you like it, you like the coaches, you like the place, you think you can play more elsewhere, Uh, coaches leave all the time. And so I I think from that standpoint, I don't really have an issue with it. But as I said, if you let them play in the game, at that point, you're like, wait a minute, what what are we doing here?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's Don, Don, what do you think? Yeah, well, I had a follow-up for
3: you guys. How much of this has to do with the fact of if you don't let – these transfer portal guys play for you. You will be, you won't have enough bodies for the game because they did pass that rule about red shirts not or the the bowl games this season don't count towards the red shirt you know four game thing, um, which obviously was was teams worried about not having enough bodies. Maybe not necessarily guys to play, but just in case there were injuries and that sort of thing. So, how much of this do you think is because hey, if if we lose a couple of guys to injury then we can be in a really tough situation.
2: You know, I think that's part of it for some teams. Uh, I do like the fact that they made it so it doesn't count against your red shirt, but it only affects one player for North Carolina, right? Andre Green Yeah, Andre Jr. Green, yeah. And so um, in that regard, I, I just – why the NCAA does things, I can't figure it out. I, I mean, and this is a a conversation for later, but –
0: how much time we got, Tommy? To yeah, I mean,
2: uh, the sun's coming up right here in front of us. Uh, I mean, we probably could do it till the sun goes down. But, I mean, it's just there are a lot of rules that are made that seemingly are for a greater good but don't seem to fit together and especially not in the order they come in. Yeah, it's
3: it, just always every rule that's made, there's always unexpected consequences that end up being
0: more of a factor. It's typically retroactive with NCAA. Yes. Yeah. Instead yes. of them having some – great plan in place they're trying to piece it together after the fact
2: yeah it's, it's sort of like when we were planning this radio show <laughs> um we we had two mics and we said we got it we got it and then the goat says let me join and we like we'll make it work but we don't have an extra <laughs> mic so next time we'll have like six mics and maybe uh maybe somebody in the chat can come hang out with us reset a little bit we have a, we, we of do
3: have a, a funny
2: request Okay, so no, I'm not going to that request. I saw it. I just want to
3: throw it out there. We're not going to do it, Um, although it's a great idea. Preston from Greensboro wants us to prank call Ross Martin. I don't think we have time for that in the show.
2: Ross said that he had PT this morning. Uh, He's covering a press conference at noon, and they're going to Michigan, or excuse me, going to Charlotte to cover the Michigan game. So got a lot on his plate um, rehabbing from the – the peck issues. I've never torn a peck. I no. guess it has something to do with I've never really lifted weights. So, uh, it, at any rate resetting a little bit inside Carolina's live signing day. Spectacular 2023 recruiting class. Go ahead, Greg. You, no, I was smiling. just going to make
0: the comment that, uh, <laughs> that Ross is lifting too heavy weights. And if, if you know, Ross Martin, Ross will be the first to tell you that guys with long arms really have a hard time with the bench press.
2: That's the excuse. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, I used to hear that at the NFL Combine. It was like, he's got a long wingspan. He's not going to be able to do as many reps. Anyway, Don, uh, we are now at 721. 721. Any letters of intent dropped yet? You're making people nervous having to wait. And-
3: yeah, I mean, we have it up. Um, actually, no, we, we do have a couple. We ha- Well, we have at least one. Um, RJ Grigsby, did you throw it up there? We got so involved in our, in our uh, conversation. Oh
2: yes. Grigsby. Let me find it. Hold please. There you go. Just in Robert Grigsby, North Cobb high school, offensive lineman. Uh, This is a relevant question when we're talking about offensive line recruits. Uh, You have a new offensive line coach at North Carolina thoughts and, and opinions and philosophies may be different. When you talk to these recruits, Grigsby, um, you know specifically or not w- what is the mindset there when you are committed to a school they change a coach your position coach that late in the game
3: so it's really and i know people hate when i answer it like this but it's, it's the case is that it's a case-by-case situation and i think that north carolina's three offensive line commitments one now assignee, they um they committed to North Carolina for, for way more than the offensive line coach. I mean, I, and I think, you know, I mean, DJ Gaff is, is one of the offensive line. I mean, he, you know, he's a UNC legacy. And so, so it wasn't going to matter who's the offensive line coach. Grigsby I think always liked North Carolina, like the academics. And so obviously he, you want to like the offensive line coach, but I think, um, it wasn't as big of a factor for him per se. Um, it was more about, about the school for him.
0: Uh, we've had this conversation, it's, it feels like, for 20 years. It's probably been taking place longer than that. Uh understand, like, defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator, that matters a lot because that's the person running the scheme that you're in and those types of things. Uh, do individual assistant coaches uh, make enough of a, a difference Uh, like at this time of year for a kid to say, whoa, wait a minute, I know who that guy is, I don't want to go play there, and that they'll make a switch? I think there are certain
3: kids and certain relationships that, yes, it it matters because um, the relationship is what kind of won out in the recruitment. You Obviously, making a decision on, especially in this day and age, um, on a, um, a relationship with an assistant coach or with your position coach is a very bad decision because even if they don't leave during your recruitment, the, the odds of your position coach leaving at some point during your career are very, very high. I think the average um, tenure for an assistant coach is like two or three years. So, so you're going to probably have at least two position coaches during your time. But yes, there are certain recruits who one of the primary reasons that they committed to a school was because of their relationship with a position coach, and that ends up hurting them. The vast majority, though, I will say there are other factors, and those factors end up keeping those kids committed.
0: What is the consequence or byproduct of the transfer portal here? Um, this may not be the – right way to phrase this but does it make it easier for kids making decisions i don't know if you've had these conversations with high school coaches knowing that hey if i go here and i don't like it I can just get in the portal and leave and go somewhere else i don't have to sit out of here whereas five years ago like especially like in the acc if i go to carolina and i ultimately want to go to nc state well i've probably got to sit out two years
3: yeah i don't I just don't think kids look at it that way, one, because we're dealing with high school kids and they don't they don't worry about what they're what they're doing tomorrow, let alone what they're doing, you know, in a couple of years. But I think also is it's almost I mean, it's kind of equivalent to just a regular student. I mean, you don't. If if you if you are down to two schools, you don't say, I'm just going to flip a coin and go to this school, because if I don't like it after the first semester, I'm going to transfer over there especially if you told your parents that they'd probably, you know, have some choice words for you. Um, so I don't think that's in their minds, but I think it does. Um, maybe I could see, and this is just me kind of just speculating and, and just trying to be a um, sociologist here. But if you look at some of these, like the particular the quarterback position, some of these quarterbacks who have been in the, in the portal two or three times now, and they've got a have that approach it feels like especially after transferring after you know just the season they transfer another it's just it's kind of odd but i don't think the high school kids i've never got that sense from the high school kids
0: jt daniels yeah. is going to rice that's his fourth college stop
3: yeah that's ridiculous so clearly he probably is the exception that takes that approach where it's like oh i'll try right well i guess
2: he's out of, out of it. yeah so, oh,
0: so the Oregon is, kid
2: I was going to say in there, Oregon kid was like his ninth year. Yeah, I saw that.
3: That was, that was insane. It's
2: getting out of hand, but look, a lot of people say, well, why would you want to stay in college that long? I, I would say that I'd still be in college if they'd let me.
3: We have another breaking news, break it. All right. We have Tyler Thompson, not too far from here. Actually, you got, uh, well, actually pretty close to um, where Greg lives. Um, He's from um, Panther Creek high school. And I think that is that technically carry right now? Yeah, OK, um, you know, long uh, basketball player turned edge rusher just got his letter of intent in.
2: I've heard you mention him as is a guy um, yeah. that can help for North Carolina. Just sort of speak to why you believe he might be able to contribute. I mean, we have to couch all these high school guys. Um, and now you add the portal that. High school guys may not contribute as fast as people want them to, mm-hmm. but you've mentioned Tyler Thompson in in previous podcasts with Ross about a, he could make some noise early.
3: Yeah, I think, well, maybe not necessarily early because I think he's a guy that, well, I know he's a guy who primarily focused on basketball for much of his life and really didn't make football a priority until maybe a year, a little over a year ago. And what we have seen from that is he had a fabulous senior season, put up great numbers and the guys at 24 seven sports took notice and bumped up his ranking. Uh, so I think he has, you know, I mean, he, he's like a lot of those basketball players turned edge rushers is if they can adjust to the physicality of football, be, learn how to, to use their raw explosiveness, their length to their advantage the the, yeah you know, the ceiling is the roof for those guys.
0: Don, you've scouted guys for a long time. Um, Mac has talked for a long time for four years about generating a pass rush, and what every defensive coordinator wants to do. It doesn't matter if you're Gene Chiswick or Jay Bateman or uh, Everett Withers or Chuck Pagano. You want to be able to generate pressure with your front four guys when you look at somebody like Tyler Thompson and you see him in person, kind of what, what are you looking at in evaluation to say, okay, I think this guy translates to the next level as somebody who can generate a pass rush.
3: So we are looking at the explosiveness, you know, his first step, how he comes off the ball. Um, Obviously most, if not all of the offensive linemen they're going up against are not going to be playing college football so you want to see someone who's basically firing off his stance before that office alignment has a chance to kind of get set and then be able to is it run the run the arc as they say you know dip the shoulder that sort of thing but also if you do get caught be able to use your length be able to have a couple of pass rush moves, and that's one of the things that kind of comes later with with some of these guys. But usually, they have at least one go to, maybe like a counter sort of pass rush move. But you really just want to see the size, the length, just the athleticism, the explosiveness, with the idea that whatever coach he goes to is going to be able to teach him the pass rush moves, to teach him the mindset, to teach him just uh, the approach and, and and those sort of things.
0: Are there many kids that have like a handful of pass rush moves at that level, or is that just kind of dependent upon what what program they're in? If that if that program is is notable in terms of the success that they've had? Yeah,
3: I think it depends on just the the level. When what I mean by that, like if you're if you're in Atlanta, if you're in Charlotte, and um, you can just focus on just that position, as opposed to having to play multiple positions for that high school. Um, and you have access to individual trainers, which are all over the place in, in places like Charlotte and Atlanta, you're going to be a lot more um, advanced than some other guys. Typically though, what you get is even, you know, even a solid pass rusher on the high school level, they probably just have that one move that they love and maybe another move that they kind of throw in there. Um, and, and usually they don't advance to having multiple moves until, they get to college, but there are definitely some exceptions. I remember um Taman Fox, but he was—you know—his dad was a trainer. He trained uh defensive linemen in that area. Uh, Taman Fox came out with a bunch of different pass rush moves, and it allowed him to play pretty early in his UNC career, and and to be a pretty reliable pass rusher for UNC.
2: Let me ask you this, Don: We talk about level of competition. Um, there's clearly been. Uh, many highly rated recruits that come in that haven't played the best competition in the world. Um, When you look at a guy like Tyler Thompson at Panther Creek, um, how do you compare what he's able to do against that competition versus somebody that may have played in Charlotte consistently um, may have played in one of the bigger cities, Georgia, Texas, wherever. I mean, how much do you look at level of competition when you're determining what these guys can do on the next level?
3: That I think is one of the key elements to, I guess, setting your board, setting your rankings or whatever it is, because it, you're not. It's not always. It's not. It's never. It's never really an apples to apples comparison because of who they're going against. Um, and typically, if you're not in one of those competitive areas, you're not going up against offense alignment or defense alignment who are going to be playing at that high level. And that's why and people get frustrated at decisions that are being made at these camps and everything because guys are in T-shirt and shorts. But at least they're going up against players of their same caliber, players of their same size, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, so making judgments and trying in your mind with your eyes to adjust for opponent is very, very difficult. I don't know anybody who does it 100% successfully but it's something that you got to obviously consider. And I think in general, if you have a guy putting up big numbers in Charlotte compared to a guy put up big number somewhere else, you got to, you got to factor that in.
0: I think the great example for that, Tommy is. Recruiting has gotten to a point now where all of these high-end elite kids go to all these camps, they get in front of the cameras. Uh, everybody sees them. I mean, it's on TV. Uh, you got, Analysts like like Don and a lot of people who are not as good as Don, you got coaches, uh, everybody at every different level gets to see these kids multiple times. They know how big they are. It's not a reported 40-yard you know, dash like it used to be. It's not kids saying, hey, I'm 6'4", 270, when actually they're 6'2", 245, which used to be the case. Uh, everything's pretty transparent now. Even so, only about 50% of five star recruits make it to the pros. It's such, those are the best of the best. And when you're talking about a 50% hit rate, um, and th- these are kids that get offered by pretty much everybody. And yet we're still talking about, hey, is this kid a bust? I don't know if bust is the right word. I think it's just a matter of, uh you know sometimes things don't work out yeah you have yeah you have injuries yeah you have bad fits yeah you got have guys that don't have the passion uh but it is such a a difficult thing to figure out what's inside somebody and that's you're going back to what you're talking about with clements um you know, does somebody love football he's not the first coach to say that right john Bunning talked about that a lot Mac brown's talked about that back in the 90s Um, that's what you're looking for is the kids who, who love it so much that they can't live without it. And that's different than saying, Hey, I like it. I want to do this. And especially now, and this, this is where the NIL comes in is now it's a money opportunity. And if you come from a a poor area, or even if you don't come from a poor area, when you're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, that all of a sudden becomes life changing money, even for middle-class families. Uh, and if money is your driving factor, is that going to be enough? And I think that that's what makes it challenging because typically that's not the case. Typically you've got to have that passion and that desire that Randy was talking about on Monday.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, what did he say? He said, does a kid want to come and get hit face every day yeah. and, and come to work and specific specifically um, linemen and guys in the trenches. I I say what is interesting to me is also the comment he made is that um, players see football as a vehicle for some sort of notoriety. And I guess everything we do is a vehicle to accomplish something we want, but um, he, he followed that up talking about what does their social media look like? Are they enamored with what offers they get and we see that we mm-hmm. we see players pop up on social media with uh, offered by wherever and I probably would too you know if I was a, a high school kid but then he said, I want to see the guy that posts offensive line videos of him working mm-hmm. and all and that is one thing and this is an aside and it's some soapbox I've been on is watching the fourth quarter videos for North Carolina versus the one for Clemson versus the one for South Carolina those South Carolina and Clemson videos their fourth quarter video the hype video was all about them working all about practice weight room and all that kind of stuff and Carolina's is a hype video of highlight tapes and Clement said anybody can make a highlight tape I want to see what the real tape is and so it so it's an interesting dynamic there um, between a perceived finesse school Um, Versus some of the the others that aren't perceived that way, but but Don, how do you know? How do these guys, especially? And this is why I think the portal, this is why I think NCAA screwed it up. They threw in this portal, no punishment portal, penalty portal, at the same time we're coming out of COVID, where kids are recruited, signed, commit, go and play for schools, and they never really got evaluated correctly. So how does how does one know what's going on in the mind without digging deep down? I mean, what does North Carolina do to get into the minds of these kids in your in your experience?
3: Well, that's kind of in the same category of you know comparing footage against different competition and trying to um, trying to, trying to to judge how good a player is. It's the same sort of thing because there are. There are guys who get into the process but are hard workers. And there are and there are definitely are guys who just care about how many offers they have and want to make sure they tweet it out and want to just collect offers and and you know basically build up their clout. Um so it, it's difficult and you you really have a limited time trying to get to know these players. You have to make a decision quickly, even with high school recruits, because you um if you don't offer quickly, you're put at a disadvantage. Especially, you know, if you're not a perennial playoff contender like North Carolina is at this moment, um, you, if other schools are offering, you're you're kind of put behind the eight ball a little bit. So you have to make decisions really, really quickly. In general, you don't know. Um, <laughs> in general, it's hard to know somebody after a couple of conversations and that's, or, or even just having them at your your campus a little bit, it's just hard to make those judgments. And so it, it's, there is, there's a lot of um, uncertainty and a lot of gambling involved with
2: this. I mean, we talk about the portal um, purely from a player's standpoint, and Greg, I want your take on this, is it's also a vehicle for coaches to get rid of dead weight, quote unquote dead weight, or guys mm-hmm. they don't think um, can contribute. They can sort of, ease them out the door and not hurt them as bad as maybe it used to be when, when you would basically run a guy off and he had nowhere to go.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the challenge now, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Mac and his staff have done a pretty good job because they've, they've had to, I think this is the right approach of having conversations with kids before the season, during the season, typically during the bye week of just saying, look, let's have a, let's have a check-in. Um, this is where we see you. This is how we see you projecting with the team. Uh, we, we don't see you playing a lot for us. So what do we do about that? Well, what we can do is we can help you find somewhere else to go and play. Uh, you know, and of course the, the kid has the right to say, no, nah, I'm comfortable here and I want to stay here. Uh, but that gets into the the dead weight if you want to phrase it like that. So that's that's the interesting thing, and I, I do think, Tommy, there have been players in the past at North Carolina um, who the coaches had an opinion of them, maybe their first year or two, that was not very flattering. Be The kid grew up, or something clicked, and all of a sudden, they start busting their tail, and they become a different player, and so a year or two later, hey, wait a minute, this is This is somebody that can actually play for us and can help us and maybe even start games. I mean, we, I've had those conversations. So it's, uh, it is kind of a a delicate matter, but I I think as long as you're upfront and you're honest with the kids, that, that goes a long way. Um, That doesn't mean it's going to be clean every time, but that's kind of, that's kind of the approach you have to have.
2: We do have another Mm -hmm. letter of intent and J. Brown Harvey Don, this is another guy that you've talked about um, being a guy that you thought might be one of the better players in this class and could help North Carolina. Just sort of detail his recruitment a little bit for the listeners.
3: Yeah, so he's another guy that's not that far away. He's actually played on, I think it was the, the AAU basketball circuit with uh, Tyler Thompson. I, I don't want to say that either decision – affected the other but um it definitely helped UNC um with both that they were both were kind of trending towards UNC and H <laughs> just kind of built on itself um but he's a guy who his junior season numbers were just insane i don't have them in front of me but um yeah you know, his uh i mean his sack numbers were just unbelievable but you can actually put on his huddle tape and uh, you have them in front of you
2: yeah i've got it. This is Don Callahan's a war chest over okay. here. With his, uh, <laughs> I gave him a cheat sheet. With his, uh, he certainly did. You've got six uh, three, two hundred fifteen pounds. Another guy that that has a frame to add some weight, but is not there physically yet. Thirty four and a half sacks, fifty tackles for loss, seventy seven QB hurries in twenty three games over the last two seasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the
3: majority of those came his junior season. I think I'm I'm sure teams wised up this past season and stayed away from him.
2: That those numbers are crazy for Southern and you've got, um, and that's another one of those things when we talk about levels of competition and he's playing against guys that may not be at the level he is, but anytime you have numbers like that, Greg, in high school period, um, you can play to some level.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's, you're really just looking for consistency and you're looking for, um, Experience in terms of logging snaps in games against good competition. Yeah, there's always that, that stat at the college level with quarterbacks of you have know, guy has a, a winning record and he's won, you know, 25 games and he started for three years. NFL teams are much more likely to take a chance on him than somebody who came out like a Mitch Trubisky and just had one year of, of a lot of success. You want to see it uh, continued. And I think a guy like Harvey has done that. Don, when do you see Harvey and Thompson really kind of projecting? Are are these guys that are surefire power ends? Or, you know, is a jack a possibility, even though they're probably at that size right now? Or could they project inside at all?
3: So I think both of them are definitely edge guys. Um, I think they're. I definitely like Jay Braun as uh, that jack position because Jay Braun actually in the Shrine Ball played kind of a hybrid stand up um, defensive end slash outside linebacker where he was kind of off the line a little bit, had to drop into coverage, had a really nice diving interception in the uh, Shrine Ball practice I attended. So, um, so I definitely think he has the ability to obviously rush the passer, you know, just looking at his numbers, but also drop into coverage and create some problems there. I think that. You know, Thompson's interesting because I think if you would have asked me this question you know a year ago, I would have said that I felt like he was going to develop into more of a power end but obviously would need to spend a lot of time gaining the weight and all that but um, you know, he just has developed nicely as a pass rusher so I could see him definitely as a guy who you want you know attacking the quarterback's blind side um, and, and, and and basically playing that jack position.
0: In terms of both these guys being from the triangle and being in state uh, as, as the vibe or the momentum for, for Mac Brown and this program changed whatsoever in North Carolina over the past year, or, uh, as, have they've been able to maintain their momentum and kind of their, their grip as maybe the, the desired program and the up and coming program for a lot of these kids.
3: So I think. With, with these two, obviously, you know, you know, Mac Brown still has that magic going. But if you just look at just the raw information, you know, um, Mac didn't do as well with the top players in state with this class. And I, I think I'm, I'm trying to pull it up now, but I believe that UNC has only signed – or only has commitments from, I think it's just two of the top 10 in-state players. I'm trying to pull up to double check, but you compare that to the previous years in your know, last year, UNC signed four of the top seven. The year before that UNC signed six of the top 10. The year before that, we're talking 2020, you, uh, Mac Brown's first full class. He signed five of the top 10 and you compare that to signing. We got one, two, two, well, three of the top eleven, and two and you know two of those guys we were just talking about, Jay Brown Harvey's number ten according to the uh, top two four seven composite, and Tyler Thompson's number eleven. So that's definitely a drop in state. And if you look, you, you know in a lot of situations, maybe North Carolina doesn't like the guys in state, but Noel Rogers went to Ohio State. Davon Hobbs was was a guy UNC basically had. He's committed to Tennessee. Nathan Laycock, UNC kind of went back and forth with. I think this ranking is a little too high for him, but it is what it is. He's going to Tennessee. Jamal Jarrett, a guy UNC had a really good chance with, going to Georgia. Sylvan Absher, this was more of a, we talk about relationships with offensive line coaches. He was kind of the first, or the the not the most recent, the one before that transition, with where he had a good relationship with Stacey Sherrills. Jack Bicknell comes in. It's not that he didn't like Jack Bicknell. He didn't have a relationship with Jack Bicknell and had a relationship with all the other offensive line coaches at the other schools. So Sullivan Absher ends up at, at um, Notre Dame. Um, Chris Peel, Keith Sampson are two guys UNC messed with a little bit, but you know, it realistically didn't recruit very hard, so I wouldn't consider those whiffs at all. And Rico Walker was committed to North Carolina for several months, Got some off the field issues that we're not going to get into here, but it's definitely on somewhere on Inside Carolina's message board, um, and uh, UNC kind of had to cut ties with him. I don't think there was really much of a choice with that.
2: Well, when you look at the the top schools, though, as you scroll through it, I mean, one thing that's interesting to me is it's it's not North Carolina, but it's also not NC State or, yeah. or any other local school. Yeah. All of these guys are going. Outside, I mean, you can't really fault a guy like Jarrett going to Georgia when Mm -hmm. they watch how they've developed players. Especially when he's
3: being compared to um, what's his name, Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis. Yeah,
2: I mean, so I mean, that's a no-brainer. The the thing is,
3: I don't think it's a bad one. I don't know if um... the problem is Jordan
2: Davis is a grown man. Well, here's the thing: so people, Uh,
3: Jordan Davis was not a very good high school player. He just wasn't. And a lot of people wondered if he loved the game and if he was able to play the game. And I don't know, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Jordan Davis was like a great college player either. He just was a massive human being who could run really, really well, and that looks unbelievable on film. And obviously, Georgia was able to kind of put a lot of good parts around him. But yeah, I mean, going getting back to Jamal Jarrett, I mean, yeah, you know, a big human being. I mean, is he as big as Jordan Davis? No, but, but you, you when, if Jamal Jarrett came walking in here, <laughs> you would be like, Holy crap. You know, he's going to break the couch sort of thing.
2: I'd be like, how do they feed these kids? Yeah. You oh know? yeah. I have no idea. I have one and he's not near that size and he eats like a, he's got tapeworm or something. Yeah. Uh, but, but when you look at it, I mean, is it, is it enough for North Carolina to win? Is it enough to get to the ACC championship game? Is it enough to get nine or ten or eleven wins a season? Is that what Carolina has to do to be able to get in these conversations for these top guys, or is it purely the relationship type deal um, for the in-state guys? Because you really hate to see, for any state, you hate to see a guy at Millbrook mm. going out of state, especially that over there. You know, that's just something that Mac always talks about. If they don't play for Carolina, at least keep them in state. And, and so that hasn't happened at all with these top guys. Is it, is it simply winning?
3: I don't. Winning is in there. But I think it's more about perception. And what is, the, what is the view, what is the perception of the program? And obviously the perception for every program is going to be different based off of where you're, you're located and that sort of thing. But I think that what Mac was able to do early on was change the perception of UNC made it, you know, a couple of kids actually mentioned it. I think it was um, Gavin Blackwell said it, was that North Carolina was a cool school to go to. So I I do think like for a guy like Noah Rogers, you know, it's, there is that prestige with Ohio State that he didn't feel with either of the in-state programs. And I think that it's difficult to change that. Winning over time, I think does change it. But I don't think, I mean, if you look at, the first time that North Carolina played for the ACC, played in the ACC championship, lost to Clemson under Lyra Fedora, there wasn't this massive recruiting bump afterwards. Even the last couple, even those two years, mostly because some of it was, it's got to be sustained winning. You got to basically change the perception of this program that's been ingrained in these kids over several seasons.
0: Yeah, I always use Clemson as the, the comparison just because... Clemson had a good history before Dabo, but they really hadn't done much of anything for a couple of decades. And when Dabo takes over, uh, you know, they they go from winning nine games, you know, his first year, uh, six and seven, and then they go 10 and four, 11 and two, 11 and two, 10 and three. And then the next year is when they get to the college football playoff. So they had four years of double-digit wins banked before they crashed the, the college football playoff. Uh, and the point of that is it takes time. And that's why I think the, the bowl game against Oregon is so important because if North Carolina loses that game, and Carolina is a 14-and-a-half-point underdog, yeah, which seems excessive, but given how Carolina played the last couple games, it makes sense. Uh, But if you lose that game, then you go into the offseason having lost four games in a row. There's going to be a lot of questions about kind of what happened at the end of the year, because the same questions happened last year where they closed the season with three straight losses to uh, FBS opponents. But if you're able to win that game, now you're able to say, okay, we won 10 games for the first time since 2015. We played for the ACC championship and lost to Clemson. No embarrassment there. Uh, We've got Drake May coming back, who's going to be a top three Heisman candidate. So there's a lot you can build on, and that really helps with the recruiting cycle. Um, And so I understand a lot of people think that the bowl games are just kind of exhibition games at this point in time, and there's some credence to that. But I think there's a lot at stake for Carolina and how they finish, and uh, that'll show up in recruiting.
2: Yeah, I, I mean trajectory matters mm-hmm. um I, I think performance on a certain side of the ball matters and and i was looking at my phone i think our food's out there
3: okay you want to so, go grab so it I was going, go...
2: i'll go down there and we'll grab go. it but uh you know don couldn't get up this morning and go get food for us greg so we and we,
3: greg would have got here at
2: 10 if we had him get the food we had uber <laughs> We had Uber Eats deliver food. I've never done it. Um, I'm, I'm old school. I like to go get my stuff, but we'll see. I think it's on the porch. I hope you don't have a dog like I do. I do not. Just cats. Um, My dog ate a beer can the other night. My, my, well, my um, one
3: cat will definitely eat food.
2: <laughs> I have a goat. But anyway, I think, I think tra- program tra- trajectory matters. I think, um, and this is something I want to get in later in the show with both of you, is what does success – on a certain side of the ball look like what does success on defense or or lack of success on defense how does that affect recruiting um we heard max say that tony grimes and his father didn't like um, didn't feel like what they were doing on defense was good for them so they left and he said good for them um this is exactly what the transfer portal is how does that affect recruiting you always talk about don and i'll leave this with you while i go grab the food is high school kids don't really have that big of a of a attention span Mm -hmm. and attention to detail um, sort of speak to all those things. You know, NIL has changed the game for a lot of kids, but as far as the attention to detail, what are high school kids looking at specifically other than coach relationships and schools and all in regards of where a program is going? It's a big question. Yes. So I think,
3: I think there's really two things that matter the most. One is, The perception of the program and that's the trajectory that's the history that's when someone brings that program up what pops in their mind that sort of thing i think that's huge and i think perception is affected by a lot of things where you're located what your news is covering you know a kid in arizona is going to have a different perception of north carolina than a kid who lives in in durham obviously and then i think the the other thing is the comfort level and i think that um the your relationship with the coaching staff, the um, environment, and this is something that Mac Brown is. We, we've been picking on Mac Brown. I feel like a lot, so uh, I want to definitely give him some kudos. This is something that we hear a lot about just the environment there, but the family environment. About um, we ran a story on Chris Culver with a lot of quotes from his mom, and she talked about how she felt pulled in um, by not just the coaching staff, but by the coaches' wives and by um, the staffers, um, and that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, feeling comfortable and that's where, I mean, when, when a normal person, and I mean normal by someone who's not going to school for, as an athlete, when they make the decision, yes, the academics matter. You want to make sure you have your major, but a lot of times you're making the decision based off of comfort. You feel like this is a place for you sort of thing. And I think that matters too for, kids who are going to school for both academics and athletics.
0: Yeah, I think the, the point you make there about Mac is spot on. Um, you know, he, he's always kind of been known as as a salesman because he's such a good recruiter. The, the old saying back when he was in Chapel Hill, when I was in school back in the 90s, was that he could sell ice to Eskimos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got to give him credit for that. However, I think there's a negative connotation when you kind of phrase it that way. Um, it's not that that Mac is, you know, is a politician in terms of being a, a BSer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Mac is just really good with people, and he understands what wherever he's at, what he can sell. I mean, when he was at Texas, it's pretty easy to sell the University of Texas, mm-hmm. and when he came back to North Carolina because he had done it before, he knew what the streets were. And kind of like you say, I mean, Carolina is one of the best degrees you can get in the country. Um, it's also the flagship university of the, of this state. And so it makes sense. And it's a good business decision to say, well, we're going to hype those things yeah, and we're going to focus on relationships and the 40 year deal and having people live nearby so families can come and visit. So none of that stuff is, uh, <laughs> you know, out of bounds. It, it all makes good sense. And Mac has capitalized on that. And when you combine the fact that he really is, I mean, he, he is, uh, such a good person in terms of, of you know, meeting individuals and, and actually caring and looking you in the eye and remembering your, your name. Um, all that stuff is true about Mac. And so it, it, it shouldn't surprise anybody that he has yeah, the there. success that he has. Uh, but it's just kind of a, a fascinating thing that you, even, even at his age, and he's only 71, but for him to continue to recruit and to connect with kids who are 18 and 19 years old is really just, um, I don't know that I would say surprising, uh, but it's very impressive.
3: No, absolutely. And I mean, anyone who's been around Mac at all, you definitely feel it. You know, you know that right. yep. you, you hear all the, the stories about just how he remembers things and how he makes everyone feel comfortable. And before you know it, you're in the palm of his hand basically when you have a conversation with him. And it's very, you know, um, you're right about what you said about how the negative connotation with calling a salesman, but I mean, he's, it's very genuine. He does. I think he generally does want to get to know people and not just your name. We have another one in, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that he, that, that's, that's definitely his, his forte. And, and before, cause I know we have to get to this um, when I talked about perception and I think what Mac is able to do was he was able to kind of, I guess alter the perception of North Carolina in a lot of these recruits minds early on. And I think what kind of hurt him is last season was such a fall down that it's a lot harder to change the perception, especially after, you know, you've been in there for a while.
2: Yep. Aiden Duncanson has, has dropped his letter of intent, North Carolina is reporting, but we've got a special guest and okay. I want to turn it over. I'm going to give you the AirPods. Okay. You can have them both. Both. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I got a bag of food over there okay. that I'm gonna eat while you talk to Mr. Kennedy Tinsley. I'm gonna bring him in the room. Okay. I
3: can hear him. Kennedy, can you hear me? I
1: can. Good morning, guys.
3: Uh, good morning. Good morning. So you can. I can. Well, oh, great. You want one of these? questions. Okay. So I'm the only one that can hear you. Well, besides the uh, people who are watching right now. Um right. It's just you and I. We just, we just got a delivery from Bojangles, so they're looking to, to dive yeah. into that.
1: So, got you, man. I understand, yeah
3: let, let me introduce you real quick. So this is Kennedy Tinsley, for those who don't know. Played linebacker at North Carolina. What, what years were you at UNC?
1: I was there from uh, 2005 to 2009.
3: Okay. All right. And I actually covered Kennedy. I think he's one of the few high school coaches – who I covered as a recruit. So it's a very uh, unique um, situation for me. And um, so I've had the pleasure of of going to a couple of the high schools that you've coached at. And now you're coaching at really, you know, an in-state powerhouse, Mallow Creek High School, just constantly producing recruits every year. And this year you're actually sending one of your pupils to Chapel Hill. He'll be sending his letter of intent in at some point today. Um, so, for you, what's that been like, kind of being on that side of things and watching, you know, Michael Short, who's who I'm talking about, a linebacker also, sign with your alma mater?
1: Oh, uh, man. <clears> this <throat> is really exciting. Uh, I really, when I first uh, got into high school coaching, you know, I really felt like it was important for the kids that you coach to, you know, sign with the best school that's for them so even though no matter what there is a bias you know um I really try to be open-minded for all coaches and for all um the opportunities that our kids are presented um but when the dots connect um it's it's really exciting and um I I even told him, you know now man I I consider you a brother right because we um we'll both Lord's will uh, have graduated and played at University of North Carolina. So it's, it's really exciting uh, okay. for sure.
3: So now you've gone through the process at a high level, had a bunch of scholarship offers. Um, now this was, though, I guess, what, 15 years, 15-plus 15 years ago. Um, how <laughs> has the recruiting process changed um, in those 15-plus years?
1: Yeah, it's been – that is um pretty neat now I, I do think about that a lot um actually because we went to the uh the uh, jump invitational last night me and my family mm-hmm. to watch the girls play and as i'm watching i'm just thinking about you know their experience compared to the girls experience when i played with you know Ivory relied on and uh canvas and some of those girls so uh it it is uh for sure, changed when I got recruited. Uh, you know, you you still had the same rules, which is interesting as far as dead periods and the visits and um, and the structure of you know going to a game and and meeting coaches or um, and an the official visit. though, those seem very similar, um, but now. Uh, I, as things get more competitive, uh, there's a lot more, I guess, involved in relation to, um, uh, kids visits like pictures, you know, it's not, everybody's got a photo shoot now, you know, which is different. That relates to the, social media um thriving, you know.
3: Did they do photo shoots at all? Like I, I thought at one point they just did them during official visits. Did you get to do one during your official
1: I I did not do a photo shoot man. I okay. I'm I am highly disappointed. Nah. <laughs> 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 nah man I and I was one of those guys that really didn't care about that stuff to be honest yeah. with you man. So I uh but you know social media has played a the biggest change in mm-hmm. recruiting now. Um, because social media is is a large part of life, um, based uh, which is different than two thousand five. So, uh, I, I still think that the core things are don't change. You know, mm-hmm. the the players and the coaches are going to sell the university experience. Um, I think the structure of the visits, all those things seem to be the same. Um, just some variables as far as social media, and then now the newest one. That's really, really changed everything. Is uh, COVID in the transfer portal? Mm-hmm. That is, that is when I saw like the biggest uh, shift and change outside of social media. And now, uh, I think high school recruited recruiting is is looked at differently, mm-hmm. um, and the structure of that is going to be different potentially. And so we'll see, you know, whether how the rules, I guess. Um, Will make a difference in the next few years, um, but that the transfer portal is now kind of like the top uh, way to recruit, uh, which means that the other leagues will serve as kind of like minor leagues, essentially, uh, and so that that's a game changer.
3: That that's um, great that you brought up the transfer portal stuff because I I definitely I've been asking a lot of the recruits, um, and I think that they don't really you know, obviously you're being recruited. You're not, you're not being affected by it so much. But for you, and not just with guys on the level of Michael Short, but you have a ton of guys who are going to go play FCS ball, Division II ball, and all that. Are you, are you seeing less opportunities for those sort of guys?
1: Uh, without a doubt. I mean, we should probably have – Mala Creek, we should have six or seven guys signing today, and uh, we have two. Oh, wow. um, which means those other guys will drop to Division Two, maybe FCS, mm-hmm. but probably Division Two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'll change the cycle of the portal, you know, because now probably they'll work their way up the portal to be Division One, but there's just not enough spots right now with guys recruiting other transfer portal players.
3: Okay. Um, Michael Short. Um, what type of player is North Carolina getting in him?
1: Man, just, uh, <clears throat> I mean, before I even talk about him as a player, the first thing that comes to mind is him as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a, a phenomenal dude. You know, he uh, is really well-rounded uh, and just kind of works and serves. Uh, you know, he's, he's a phenomenal leader. Uh, and he showed a lot of growth in being a leader this year for our team and our school, Um, and that's what I'm really proud about. As far as a player, uh, man, he's got so much untapped potential. Uh, His recruiting kind of spiked late Mm -hmm. because of his development and growth, and then when you see him, you know he still has a lot more development and growth uh, uh, as far as his potential. And he's going to work to to reach you know be his best, and I think he's going to be in a great uh, situation with you know power and and Cedric. Uh, so he'll be around some veteran leaders to kind of develop and grow and have time to. Um, and so I I think he'll do he'll be great man, and he's he's very long. Um, still got a lot ways to grow. As far as his growth in the weight room, um, but he's going to work hard, um, and he's he's going to do uh, get the most out of all of his opportunities. Uh, so we're we're really excited about his future.
3: So speaking of that growth that you mentioned, you know, going into his senior season, because of that, he basically had two recruitments. You know, he had his first one over the summer, which resulted in him committing to East Carolina. Then, um, you know, he had the breakout, breakout senior season where North Carolina, Wake Forest, and I think it was uh, Missouri ended up offering him. He ended up taking officials to uh, Wake Forest and UNC. Um, Missouri, I guess, was just a little bit too far for for him and his family. Um, What was that like, and what sort of guidance did you provide him to basically kind of, you know, he had to hit the restart button and start all over again, and then he had a smaller window to make some decisions. How did you kind of help him with that? How did he handle all that?
1: Oh, uh, that's a great question. He, and you're exactly right. It was, it was the first in the spring, he got 30 offers and, uh, and, and just, you know, that really got his recruiting going. And then by the time, you know, we got to the end of the season, man, he was, he was a power five recruit. Uh, and so as far as advice from me uh, towards the end you know, I really wanted him to just focus on what he wanted out of his experience so that he could um, lock in and uh, and focus on that outside of the recruiting, uh, because typically when recruiting is going on, it can sometimes cover you finding the best fit for you because you see all the glitz and glamour, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the coach um, or uh you know, the school itself and and the, the things they have to offer. Um, so that was, that was my advice, man. Just lock in and focus on what you're, what's important to you. Um, and, and I think he did a good job of that. Um, and, uh, and it, it, I mean, obviously signing with Carolina is going to be a great opportunity for him. So he's, he's really excited about that. And, you know, the way it came about, uh you know, the more he looked at it, I think that's the one he really wanted when he looked at that last group. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he did a good job of being open minded to, you know, all all of his offers, including ECU. Um and he's got great parent support, so they were uh phenomenal as far as helping him um make the right choice.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when he visited North Carolina for the first well actually this was the second time, but for the for the um football game and his entire family were there, and they're all decked out in Carolina gear, which was which was, and it wasn't just shirts. I think it was his brother had like a, a Rams hat on, and everything was it was funny. Um, yeah. So, last couple questions for you. One, did Tommy Thigpen? I know he coached you at UNC. Did he recruit you to North Carolina?
1: He did not. dig okay. um, I I want to say we got there at the same time. I think he was at Bowling okay. Green, so when I came in, he came in. Okay. Uh, so he did not Coach Saunders Dave, recruited Dave Rock. me.
3: No, I'm sorry, Dave Brock didn't have Greensboro. Who who recruited you?
1: Uh Saunders. Coach Saunders. Coach Saunders, okay. Yep, and then Coach Powell. Um uh, mm-hmm. I think I was a running back at the time. So those two recruited me.
3: That's right, because you were a fullback at Dudley.
1: That's right. Yep.
3: Oh man, God. Now it's coming <laughs> back to me. So um my last question for you before I let you go, because I know you got you got more important things to do than talk to me.
1: No, um, man, I'm is- George. <laughs>
3: Is um, what was that like? I mean, you know, you spent a lot of time with Tommy Thigpen, in meeting rooms, on practice fields, um, and I'm sure a lot of other settings. You know, for however many years you were at North Carolina, and then you have him now. He's coming into your office and he's asking you about your kids, and then he offers one of your kids. What you know, what was what, what was that like for you?
1: It was it was great, man. Well, I. When it comes to Thig, you know, I think you said it, said it best, man. When you spend so many hours uh, when you're playing college football with your coaches, you know, um, and and since I've graduated, he's always just been a great um, resource and friend. Uh, I still call him coach, you know, mm-hmm. all my coaches, I still call him coach. I don't call him anything else. And Fig has always been fair. You know, he hasn't, even though he coached me and he um, has been close to me, he's never like, you know, he he just comes in and does the job. And if it's a fit, it's a fit. And we've had other recruits that he, that uh, Carolinas wanted in the past. And if it worked out, it worked out. And if it didn't, it didn't. And he stayed, he's been the same. Um, regardless, and I think that just shows um, his, his his character and his heart. Dig um, secretly has a really good heart, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so it's it, it's an honor and blessing to uh, be coached by him, and it's an honor and blessing to have a player that's I think going to be a good player get to play for him.
3: All right, well, Kennedy, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think actually this is your day off, right?
1: Well, we did I'm at the school now. We had to come in now. There's no kids. So that makes a big difference when I come yeah. to work and there's no kids. So I'm all it's all good.
3: Okay. So semi semi off day. So I really appreciate you coming in. And I I promise you you and I will be talking soon at some point.
1: That's right, man. I appreciate all that you guys do. Don, appreciate you um supporting all the uh the kids and the uh high school athletes and uh, appreciate the opportunity, man.
3: Oh, no problem. I'll talk to you later.
1: Okay, bud. See you.
3: So we, we yeah, because I don't have that thing. So, all right. Kennedy,
0: Kennedy is a great guy. Uh, Looking at, I was searching for kind of his background and came across a a story I wrote on on Kennedy and Kennedy and I are are both getting up in age. Uh, But this is from August of 2008. Uh, He had just moved to middle linebacker. And for the the old heads here, uh, you're going to kick out some of these names. Kennedy had just moved to linebacker, the middle linebacker, in August of 08 uh, after Mark Paschal had a concussion in practice. Uh, Kennedy had served as Darrell Mapps backup uh, at weak side linebacker prior to. And this is, of course, the second year of the Butch Davis era. Uh, But some of the other names in here are just just phenomenal. With uh, Deion Guy, Zach Brown was a freshman this year. Herman Davidson, who came in as a safety, switched over to, to linebacker, Kenneth Harris, uh, just uh, a lot of good names. That It seems like it was just yesterday, Tommy, and it was 15 years ago. And Tinsley arrived in, in Chapel Hill in 05 as a uh, tailback out of Greensboro.
2: It is crazy how it uh, how the time has flown. I mean – you know you go back and you look at all these names Mark Pascal used to be on this podcast yeah for sure we, we used to do him on on the podcast and have him on there and talk about it a lot he's been around but you're right Kennedy Tinsley I mean what a job you know Mallard Creek you know in Charlotte it was Independence High there for a while uh and now Mallard Creek's the school of course Marquise Williams I mean, just a big time, big time job, high school wise.
0: For sure, yeah, West Charlotte, Independence, Mallet Creek. Uh, just there's a there's a lot of talent in the Charlotte area, but you got to be able to accumulate it, and you got to be able to capitalize on it. And Kennedy's done done a great job.
2: So, just Don Callahan has stepped away, and somebody uh, was hating on Bojangles. Um, what, like I said in the chat, what? Don wants and his man tower, Don gets, so we've got, you know, a hundred dollars worth of Bojangles up here. And he said he will eat every bit of it, but he's getting coffee at the moment. But, uh, that is the
0: biggest bag
2: of <laughs> Bojangles that I've ever seen, Tommy, like a 20 pound bag of Bojangles left on the front porch. And, uh, I missed it. So it'd been sitting out there for a few days, but like I said, I am not joking. If that was on my porch, it would have been ripped into before we ever saw it. But, um, shout out to, I believe Alyssa. Who, who drove that all the way from the Bojangles to Don's house out here in the big city, big city country, Bojangles biscuits. And Greg, you're not a Bojangles guy in the morning. You're a coffee, straight coffee.
0: I am. I have a hard time uh, eating anything this early. Uh, so I get my, it's eight 30, man. I'm not a, I'm not a skinny individual. So <laughs> trust me, I get my food on after lunch, but once I start eating, I don't stop.
2: Yeah, indeed. Uh, so, so as we wait for Don to get back, we've had two other NILs or letters of intent drop. <laughs> Too many acronyms. <laughs> yeah, really. Aiden Duncanson, Rodney Laura dropped while we were talking to Kennedy Tinsley. Um, but, but Greg, looking forward here, um, you know, as far as this bowl week and all, you, you've covered the team of plenty. What are they hoping to accomplish in these practices here? We We've talked about you know, the transfer guys playing and all that. But what what really is a team trying to accomplish in the week leading up to that bowl game?
0: Well, I think what a lot of people tend to forget, Tommy, is that you've got exam week in there as well. Um, And so while you're only allowed to have 15 practices in spring ball, that rule does not apply for bowl practice. And so in theory, you know, if you're playing on January 1st, like it used to be where all the bowls are on New Year's Day, Uh, and your season ended Thanksgiving weekend, you could get 20 practices in pretty easy. And you can do a lot in 20 practices. Uh, I think Max said the other day they're probably only going to be able to get 12 in, which 12 seems like a lot considering that they had just played in the ACC championship game back on December 3rd. But really what you're looking to do is probably the the first week uh, is getting the guys kind of back into gear coming out of exams because that's the period when the coaches are out recruiting anyway. Uh, and really allow some of the younger guys to get some significant reps. That's kind of the standard practice during bye weeks is that you you allow your starters to get a little bit of rest. They still get work in, of course, but you really let the younger guys really get more opportunities to kind of see how they're developing and to give them some confidence and those types of things. So typically that's the, the first week or so of bowl practice. And then after that, you're really focusing in on your opponent. You want to close strong. Uh, the standard week, and I think most everybody knows that, but just kind of to explain it, is Monday is a day off for the players, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are, are hardcore practices. Uh, Tuesday is an install. Wednesday you kind of nail it down, and then Thursday is special situations. And then Friday is a walkthrough. Um, and that that's kind of a typical game week. And so when you get into ball practices where you have – Two or three times that many opportunities to practice, you can really kind of space it out uh, and, and do a lot of different things. So I really think the the key for the the team is before they they head to San Diego, which is soon. I don't remember exactly when Max said they were. Friday, leaving, I believe. Friday 3rd. Uh once they get out there, you're still going to have some practice opportunities. But that's really an occasion to kind of celebrate the good year that you've had. That's what bowl games are about. So they'll have a lot of a lot of fun things to do out there while also getting some work in ahead of the bowl game on, on the 28th.
2: Yeah. I mean, San Diego is a great place to hang out and go. I hate it that it's so far away for the fan base and sort of how the season wrapped up. So I'm not sure how many North Carolina fans will make the trip flights are ridiculous. I mean, it is outrageous. um, What it costs to fly somewhere, you know, but like you said, it's a good opportunity To uh, to get some work in, but also to celebrate the season and sort of look back at what they've accomplished, with the goal of of getting better, trying to win a football game, and and today is part of it. Don, while we were talking um, with Mister Tinsley and about other things, now three more letters have dropped. um, Ty Adams becomes. Let's let's start with Aiden Duncanson.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go by Ben's list because yeah, let's yeah okay. So it looks like it was three. Okay. So. Ben, Ben's list, you guys know. You always go by Ben. Okay. He's so <laughs> ma- he's he's so meticulous. He's the anchor. He is the anchor. He's gonna do it right. Um, I wasn't sure what with some of the stuff that's up there. Um, but anyway. Um, so yes, yeah, so Aiden Duncanson. What, what do you have for me with Aiden Duncanson?
2: another defensive back. Yeah. Uh, another East Carolina commit.
3: Well, we haven't talked about the other guy yet. We will. Well. We okay. are. We got two two uh, former ECU commits and defensive backs.
2: Tell tell me why that North Carolina. Why should North Carolina fans not be concerned about that aspect of this? There's a couple
3: of reasons. One, um, so UNC missed on a couple of DB targets initially, and when that happens, you got to expand your board. I think some fans think that you're just going to magically offer a four-star that nobody knew about, and that's just not the case. So typically, what happens is you know college football there is a food chain, and so you're not going to try to poach someone off of Alabama's commitment list or Clemson's commitment list. You got to go lower than that, and so they went to ECU, who actually is running a very good program over there. Yep. Uh, you know they they they've done some um, it's Mike Houston. Yep, I actually interacted with him a little bit when he was a high school coach in the Asheville area. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. Um, But um, anyway, so I don't think it's such a bad thing because I think that they do a good job of evaluating their players and doing what they can with the limited resources they have. The other aspect of it, I think these are two guys who fit the profile of guys who typically outperform their ranking. And I know that's, a lot of spin you're going to hear today, not from just from us, but from a lot of other areas, other people who cover teams about better than rankings, that sort of thing. But these are two guys who primarily played quarterback at their high schools, played at the 1A level in Georgia, which is the lowest classification. And so those guys don't get nearly the coverage and nearly the exposure as other guys. And so that hurts the ranking that hurts some of their, um, their recruiting profile. Um, but you, you look at, you watch Ty Adams's film and um, we got an intruder here. Um, and uh, I, he's super explosive. His uh, state championship game where they lost, but he had four touchdowns and 200 and something yards rushing um, and in limited defensive Opportunities had two interceptions. Aiden Duncanson, same sort of thing. Played quarterback. Uh, they didn't go nearly as far, but um put up some big numbers on offense. These guys have never focused on defense, but they have the tools. You know, they're different. You know, uh, Ty is probably more of a cornerback, explosive, um, you know, playmaker. Uh Duncanson is probably more of a you know a center fielder sort of safety, long. Um, savvy, um, you know, high points the ball, sees the field really well. To take those sort of tools and give them just just to focus on one position and to give them the proper coaching, I think that that they um have the potential to exceed their, their ranking. Let me get rid of him real
2: quick. Yeah. Um, are you a cat person? I don't I'm a dog person, but that cat's pretty cool. The orange ones are always pretty neat. Um, I think the orange cats are the best because they realize that nobody cares about them, and and so they're a little bit nicer than some of the prissy cats. I'm sorry, folks. I don't want to get into a cat debate. Uh, You mentioned Ty Adams and Aiden Duncanson, two different players, but similar situations being East Carolina. So let me ask you this, and we can talk about this, and also Rodney Laura's – letter is in as well and he committed just yesterday a little bit ahead of the schedule don <laughs> thought he would but uh what he what he told me
3: <laughs> so this is not something i made up or someone told me who had heard it somewhere he literally told me he was
2: going to announce and signed it but it is what it, it's it's just what we deal with uh, hey folks just have to get it out and it's it's high school guys and high school kids and, and they tend to do whatever the moment says um, but, but looking – you mentioned playing offense in high school and then switching over to defense. We've seen that a lot with, you know, a lot of great players at North Carolina. Bruce Carter, Quan Sturdivant, playing quarterback in high school. How does Mike that, Hughes. Mike Hughes. Who is that? I, <laughs> I'm well aware of who Mike, who Mike Hughes is. Um, that'll get a flame war started on the North <laughs> Carolina message boards. But, but looking at those, how, how does a guy like Charlton Warren, re, when he's recruiting these, these guys for his room, How does he mesh that if they're not defensive guys in high school? I mean, it's all projection, right? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously he's got experience recruiting them. He's got experience in the room, but ultimately it's a projection and a hope, Mm -hmm. right? Tell Mm -hmm. me otherwise.
3: It's kind of what we talked about with Tyler Thompson earlier is that, you know, this is more art than science with this stuff. And, um, you're basically looking at a kid. You're looking at his physical tools. You're looking at you know, his explosiveness, um, his playmaking ability, and you're trying to project what that will do at defensive back. And I assume some coaches are better at doing it than others. I don't know if there's any sort of research that actually supports that, but there have been definitely players who have – primarily played quarterback in high school and developed into great DBs. And there have been situations that didn't pan out. You know, we saw time uh, Brown, he just entered a transfer portal, probably didn't receive enough time to develop. And I think maybe some of that was he wasn't recruited by the current um, defensive coaches. He was a, he was a Jay Bateman guy, but he was a kid who primarily played quarterback in high school and um, everybody was recruiting him as a defensive back. And at north carolina at least it didn't work out perhaps it works out i guess he wait, he picked uh ecu right yep so perhaps that, that
2: east carolina the north carolina yeah. pipeline back and goes, forth yeah is... it goes
3: both ways it's not a one-way street <laughs> yeah, really. uh yeah if you look at um camaros there uh what about um oh man that the center who actually avery jones, avery jones oh, and illinois. left going going to illinois you know, would uh, wouldn't North Carolina love to have a kid who has the ability to play in the the Big Ten at center? But um, and, and Tamir is a great kid, so hopefully everything works out for him. But so so there are plenty of examples that don't work out. Also, so there is there is some art to it.
2: So you got Duncanson, you got Adams, uh, you got Laura. Let's talk a little bit about Laura, a late guy on the scene don you know a, a good pickup for north carolina uh, i mean it seems like it sort of came out of the blue um can you sort of detail that a little bit um as your mid bite to how it came about and obviously like you mentioned earlier it came back uh, a little quicker than you thought it was going to <laughs> um as we were running this setup yesterday um i hear don fussing at his phone um because laura has committed when it was uh, you, you were ready to go though. Yeah, we were like, it ready. It seemed we, like you almost knew.
3: <laughs> well, we were ready. Just we, we we've learned to be ready as soon as we know. Just because these kids will not always announce when they tell you they're going to announce. And he was supposed to announce today, not yesterday. But his situation was North Carolina offered him initially back in March, for whatever reason. You know, mostly because UNC liked a lot of other guys on their board better they kind of moved on a little bit. He moved on officially visited UVA and I believe Rutgers committed to UVA Then three months later decommitted from UVA. I don't know what his plans were uh, before North Carolina got involved, but about, I guess it was a week or two ago, maybe, maybe it was just a week ago. UNC put on his film, really liked it. Felt like, Hey, let let's take a shot. If you follow this last couple of years, Mac Brown has done this. has has come back on guys. There was the offensive lineman from Virginia um, who uh, signed with Virginia Tech that UNC brought in for an official visit. Um, there was uh, Benji Gosnell that UNC got back in with. So Mac Brown has definitely done this in the past. Um, those situations obviously didn't work out, but this one did. They they saw him in person, felt like he his. Um, Physically, he looked a lot better than what they remembered the first time around. Bronaming for the official visit, the entire staff liked it, and he he committed during the official visit. Um, and as I said, he was supposed to announce it on Wednesday. Decided to announce it like literally, it was um, it was what maybe less than an hour after I just posted the visit uh, story, and he committed to North Carolina. Don, he's
0: listed at six four. 270 do you see him as like a three technique does he project he seems like to be too small to play nose
3: yeah so i think he's um probably more of a three tech guy um but uh and the thing with him if you put on his film he's um great film um you know, plays hard plays snap to whistle sort of guy very active hands just motor is overwhelms offensive lineman I think some schools were a little bit worried about his measurables. I don't know if he is exactly six four. I would I would um, guess he's probably shorter than that, and I think some schools were turned away by that um, and some other you know aspects too. But um, he's definitely a player, and I think that I think you know you always take the guy who has produced on film over the guy who um, who has all the measurables because I think we've seen a ton of guys who had the potential. You know, I mean, Keyshawn Silver was a toolsy guy, ton of potential. Never seemed to be able to do much at North Carolina. Hopefully he finds something. He, he hasn't landed anywhere, has he? Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully he finds something. Great kid. And I think he's one of those kids that the, the um, COVID stuff really impacted him because I don't think he had ac- access to, you know, training and, and workout areas that some of the other kids did. And so I think he put on a lot of weight during that time. But anyway, that's a different topic.
0: I want to get into that topic, but we'll we'll – shelve that for a minute what what stands out about Rodney on on film what pops
3: well as I said you know I think it's his motor I mean he he just plays so hard um against the competition and um and as I said I mean it's just overwhelming for blockers to uh to keep track with him
2: so uh they are coming fast and furious but Rodney Laura 6'4 ish We'll say ish, since Don's not 100% sure. He's 6'4", 30th out of Virginia, defensive lineman, a potential three tech for North Carolina. Um, Amari Campbell, Don, is in the hopper. Yeah, so
3: this is what, while I'm talking about him, Tommy, why don't you pull up Am- Amari Campbell's junior season highlights, all right? And so this kid plays, and this is a phrase that Mars, Ro- that Ross Martin loves. He plays with his. Uh, you got. You got. Just. Just Google. Um, huddle. His huddle. Yep. Um, Russ Martin loves this phrase. He plays like his hair's on fire. This kid. I do, for the record, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Okay. So he. <laughs> as soon as he sees this, I'm talking about Amari Campbell. As soon as he sees the ball, he makes a beeline for that ball carrier at top speed. And he and there's film of this blows up blockers along the way. Yeah, I think the issue is is you're not going to be able to do that at the college level. So he's going to have to uh, to learn how to take on blocks and shed blocks and and ev- evade um, blockers. But he is a guy who um, plays hard. Um, definitely piled up the tackles in his uh, high school career. Tommy's taken forever to pull up this highlight. Your,
2: your internet. Or something. I'm, I'm just hey, I'm hey, this show. internet is working great. I
3: can't show it to people. Okay, no, I know, folks, but I just folks. wanted to get your, and of course, the uh, ad comes up. <laughs> I just wanted you to, to just see what I was talking about as far as he's concerned, but yeah, I mean, so he's a guy who um just plays hard, he's a, a, a stout kid, he's not the tallest kid, but he's he's built like, built like a tank, um, and, and just piles up the tackles
2: yeah I was, I was going to mention that I mean Charlton Warren tends to like bigger defensive backs mm-hmm. uh Campbell six foot 215 linebacker yeah um, obviously Cedric Gray's bigger than that power Echo is probably a little shorter than that is, is there sort of a theme that you've seen um with pen or, or with the staff in general um where they You know, size is not as big a factor for middle potential middle linebacker height wise. I mean, is is that a thing, or is it just who who they see and who they like? I I
3: think it's. I think it depends on the staff. Um, A lot of staffs now really like those taller, longer linebackers because um, even though they're more finesse, they cover a lot of ground to defend the pass. Um, So it's actually kind of nice to see North Carolina go back to the you know old school. Mike linebackers with not just him, but a guy we'll talk about at some point in, uh, Caleb LaVallee. He's on up there now. But speaking of kids, I mean, this is the text message I just got. Now, keep in mind, my daughter is at school right now. I get asked what the Netflix passport is. That's the question I get. And she's in class. She is in class. So maybe there's some sort of assignment. Do some you need sort to walk over there and get her? Cause you can just walk over there. I can her. just walk over. No, she's, they're going to stay in school until it's a half day. Um,
2: but, uh, yeah. So, if you're listening and watching and you're not tuned in to Inside Carolina, Ben Sherman's got it nailed down on the Tar Pit Premium message board. All the official signed letters of intent thread. Grigsby, Thompson, Harvey, Duncanson, Laura, Ty Adams, and Amari Campbell. Um, seven out of 20 and potentially mm-hmm. 21, potentially, depending no, on... No, no, seven out 19, potentially 20. Potentially 20, and then as well as some of the transfer portal commits that they have go ahead greg
0: tommy <clears throat> breaking news north carolina has has moved up to number 24 in the national rankings currently as of uh 8 39 a.m eastern time as as we talked about earlier i, I assume somebody somebody, lost, somebody lost recruit yeah i don't think this will be a a top 25 class um just because there are so many programs behind that. I mean, like Ole Miss has 12 commitments. Louisville has 13. Uh, UCLA has 14. So I imagine a few of those schools may may jump ahead. Uh, but a lot of people kind of panic when talking about this class, not being potentially a top 25 class. Uh, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. I mean, ideally you, if you could have top five classes every year, you'll take it. Of course. But Carolina had three top 15 classes in a row. Uh, That's kind of your base. And as long as you have some some really good pieces, and this is not a massive class anyway, uh, but if you can have some smaller classes that are still in the top 25 range and you hit on some of those lesser recruited guys, um, you've got to have good depth. And I think in the, the transfer portal era especially, you know, if you have too many four- and five-star guys who expect to play from day one and they don't have success, they may move on. So uh, the roster management part of it is, is a fascinating aspect, Tommy. But I think this is a good class uh, just in terms of how it's built. And I think as long as you can kind of bounce back next year and have a little bit stronger class, you know, a class that's fringe top 25 is not going to hurt in your effort to kind of get to a place where you can compete for, for championships.
2: Yeah, what's interesting is, is, you know, Carolina's two biggest recruits um, in the last two or three years are both in the portal, you know, Right, and you've got a guy like Cedric Gray, who was not highly recruited. That's probably going to be an all American next year. If he continues to direct tra- trajectory. And he, wa- I've said that word a lot today and, and he was, um, you know, second or third team this year. So, um, I mean, to your point greg the splash the splash is not there but the needs are being filled and then it comes back to player development you know it's how well the staff can develop guys and it's been interesting to watch that aspect of it over the last three or four years of mac brown is who gets better who does not who moves on and with the portal like you just mentioned somebody's not happy they're out and they can go wherever they may wherever they roam they can check out so Uh, this class will not, the story of this class will not be told until what, what are we, 2022 right now, 25 Mm -hmm. and and all. And, um, so that's where I'm at with it.
0: Yeah. Dave Glenn for the ACC sports journal. Uh, I think one of the best things that he ever did there was he would do the five years after recruiting rankings about how, how guys you, how their careers turned out compared to what the projections were, uh, how beneficial those classes were. I think, I think that's a ideal way to look at it. We're not in that type of society, right? I mean, we're in a impulsive, uh, right now society. And so today is what we're, we're celebrating. Of course, that's good for the three of us and in, in that inside Carolina. But really in hindsight, you kind of want to look back and say, okay, well, who are the kids that were undervalued uh, who are the kids that were overvalued? And I, you talk about player development, and I think you, North Carolina's defensive line room is really a place where we could have a long, lengthy discussion, Tommy. Carolina's already gotten a couple kids in. We've talked about today. that have signed today more four-star kids. But yet you look at kind of the guys that have really stood out along the defensive line for Carolina, and you're talking about Raymond Vahesic, who was a mm-hmm. juco, Noah Taylor who was a transfer from Virginia came uh, on Rucker who was not a, a big uh, big time recruit
3: he was going back to what I was saying earlier he was a production guy terrible measurables
0: right you yeah know, so but his his burst off the ball is probably the best that Carolina has mm-hmm. uh, it, I think Carolina really missed tamari Fox this year mm-hmm. and you talk about you know Tamon Fox and kind of what he brought with his his dad helped him along. I mean, Tamari was a was a elite-level wrestler, um, and I think he's going to be a, a big boost for that defensive line next year. But then you get into some of the other guys who are big-time recruits, you know, the, the four- and five-star guys. Uh, we we haven't, to this point, haven't really seen them kind of play up to that potential. So I think that's going to be a big thing for North Carolina this offseason is to get that defensive line to start playing to the, its potential. Uh, because your offensive line was Carolina hasn't had a ton of success in terms of signing big names. You know, everybody knows Zach Rice and what's expected out of him, but he's kind of been the exception. And even so North Carolina has been able to have some, some really good offenses lately. We know we've had the conversation about uh, the inability to to run when you want to run at times. Um, But I, I think the ability to develop talent at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball is really going to determine how far Mac can get this program to be. We we know when, when you recruit at the level that Mac recruits at, your floor really comes up. But in order to get to that next level where he wants to take North Carolina and where North Carolina fans want to go, you've got to be able to coach those guys up at least to their production level if not higher, and that's a lot easier said than done.
2: It, it kind of reminds me of the old the the golf adage, and you know it. You're you're a pro. Um, the difference between a scratch golfer and a PGA Tour golfer is is big, it, massive. And the difference between North Carolina winning nine ball games and putting up a great offense versus Ohio State, Georgia, even Clemson, obviously. There's a big gap there, and I think the gap is closed when you develop the defensive line, you develop the offensive line, because I think you can finesse, and I've talked about this before, you can finesse offense, and you can finesse points and all, but when it gets down to crunching time in the red zone, you can't really finesse that, and we saw that over the last four years. And then on the defense, you got to have dudes, and and if you don't, you're going to get run over by – teams that have them. And, and I think that somebody in the chat mentioned recruit guys with chips on their shoulders, where that's part of the, the, the getting to know these guys. And that's one thing that Randy Clements talked about is wanting to get into the heads and understand where they're coming from and what drives them. And, and that's the challenge across the board. Sure. Getting more talent matters. Guys that are five stars, you know, it, it, it is a scientific fact that they have a better chance of, of getting to the next level or being better. But for a team like North Carolina in a class like this is fine guys like Rucker, like Gray, um, like the Foxes and guys that can produce on the college level. But Greg, to your point, it comes back to the trenches. You talked about it in your article that I believe you posted yesterday or maybe this morning on Inside Carolina. If you can't win the trenches and you can't control the line of scrimmage, your, your ceiling's only so high.
0: You agree with that, Don?
3: Yeah. Um, And I think to kind of speak to Tommy's point, if you look at it, I watched a lot of group of five ball, watched a lot yesterday. And uh, those defenses are absolutely terrible. But there's a lot – like, they're really, really bad. But there's a lot of those programs end up fielding really good offenses. And it speaks to Tommy saying you you can scheme a good offense, you can – finesse a good offense um but it's a lot harder you get, you need the jimmies and joes for the defense uh, the other thing i wanted to mention was i found out why north carolina uh, moved up in case ever, anyone cared um baylor actually lost a decommit or lost a commitment um austin Novasad, quarterback four-star guy and that dropped baylor um so so yeah so they are North Carolina's up to twenty-five right
0: now, and Oregon flipped him because the the more kid flipped from Oregon to yeah. UCLA the other day.
3: Yeah, the the, the uh, QB Dominoes. Yeah. Uh,
0: and talking about the trenches, when we look at the the ACC recruiting rankings currently, uh, Miami has got the number three class in the country, so they're leading the pack, uh, and in terms of the trenches. They've got commitments from two top 20 guys nationally mm-hmm. along the offensive line, and then two top 100 kids on the defensive line. So, Mario Cristobal, uh, it looks like he's going to have things rolling now. Is he a great game day coach? I don't think so. No. But
3: he, you know, he, there is no. Coach more Miami than Cristobal, is there not? Right. I mean, you know, he's known as this great recruiter who can't coach on game day. Miami, ever since what, early 2000s, I guess, they've recruited really well. Larry Coker, yeah. And, yeah, ever since Larry Coker, recruited really well, but have had terrible, um, terrible teams, never could put it together. But we have another letter of intent in. Yeah, man. You, uh, you-
2: these things, they catch me off guard. You know? Do you
3: want me to do, introduce them, or do you? No,
2: I got him. DJ Geth, the Ormond High School. A legacy. Legacy. Father Ed Geth. Mm-hmm. Played a little basketball at in North Carolina. Tell us about DJ and, and what he brings, um, could potentially bring on the offensive line now for Coach Randy Clements.
3: Yeah, so it's funny looking at it now. It seems like such a slam dunk to uh, keep with the puns with that. But um, – <laughs> You know, there was a point where I really thought South Carolina was gonna steal him. You know, he uh he lives obviously in South Carolina. His best friend, uh Markey Anderson, who UNC also recruited, committed to South Carolina. Many viewed him as a um is there there's a glitch. I gotta fix that. Oh my
0: god. Oh, thinking- it's probably
3: because his name has is, is DJ. It probably causes a problem. So you're gonna have to go. Oh. Anyway, um people who are watching have no idea what we're talking about. But, um, but yeah, he so he stuck with the legacy thing. He did talk about just how difficult it was to make the decision between the two programs. But this is a kid who, um, who plays at a high level at South Carolina. Dorman High School is is one of the top programs in that state, um, and he played. He's one of the bookend tackles for the most part, although he has experience basically playing every position along the offensive line. There, I think North Carolina is hoping that he develops into a center. And that's what we're seeing because a lot of people saying, you know, one of the questions I get a lot is what centers are North Carolina recruiting? And the problem is, is that most high schools aren't playing their best offensive alignment at center. So typically what colleges have to do is recruit guys that they hope can turn into centers. Actually, in, in, in this situation, we talked about um, Robert Grigsby earlier, right? Yep. Yeah, he's the first, first one to come in. Um, I think the, the hope is that both these guys are going to get a shot at center hopefully one of them works out as a center either way they both are interior guys who um you know dJ in particular he's not the best athlete but he plays hard definitely plays till he puts his defender on his back sort of thing has a surprising mean streak because he's just really nice kid off off the field uh, but I think uh whether it's center whether it's guard I think that he's going to to Bring something from North Carolina.
2: So, uh, so I have a question, and this is uh, an interesting question. Folks that look in the, could look at this, six four, right? He's listed as six four, but you, but you describe him <laughs> as a squatty interior lineman.
3: Yeah. So, i I've always suggested when you look at these listed heights and weights, to just look at them as a grain of salt, because um, with a grain of salt because they're often exaggerated. <laughs> and um, I like to, when I do my rankings and when I do my evaluations and stuff, and this is one of the negatives about the COVID stuff, is that we haven't had a whole lot of camps the past couple of years. And, you know, and then Nike kind of jumped out and the opening doesn't do as many as they, as they um, were doing. So we don't have a whole lot of verifi- verifiable heights and weights So um, which makes things difficult, but I promise you, if uh, DJ came in here, he's a big kid, but he's not six, four.
0: Not to get too far off topic, Don, but we've referenced it a couple of times about COVID. Um, How detrimental was that time period for that particular recruiting class? Um, I know that's a very difficult thing to quantify. Um, but I mean, have you have you heard from you know, coaches along the high school ranks and just in terms of uh, the inability for coaches to properly evaluate and for kids to find good matches at the college level?
3: Absolutely. And I think it hurt the state of North Carolina more than any other state in this area just because if you remember, in the the public school, the NCHSAA, they played their season in the spring where colleges have to have their boards set and have an idea of what's going on well before that. Because if, you know, film's not coming out until April or May, other states are are playing, you have your board set off of those those states. If you look back, I was actually looking back at that class, and UNC didn't offer a whole lot of in-state guys. Really, the, the top 10, um, it was solid, but, you know, um, it, it wasn't as deep of a class. And I think a lot of it had to do with the lack of opportunities And kids like Bo Atkinson, for example, took advantage of it and worked his butt off every second he could with that extra time. But I think a lot of other kids didn't have access. We talked about Keyshawn Silver a little bit, didn't have access to, um, you know, to weight rooms, to facilities, to trainers and all that sort of stuff. And that affected them a
1: lot.
2: We saw guys, uh, working out with cinder blocks and carrying around gallon (laughs) gallon (laughs) buckets and all that stuff type of stuff you're right i mean it benefited people that were that had access yeah and um, we've mentioned Keyshawn silver i mean if you followed his recruiting recruitment and you listened to don and ross in previous podcasts back then i mean it's a struggle for for folks um for some folks during that time so It it is an interesting thing. They're they're laughing in the chat about the squatty comment. Mm. Um, Slagle, my man, is a hardcore inside Carolina person. Don, you will get to know him. If he is um, not in every chat, he's in almost every chat, and he's always pretty active, and we appreciate it. Let's back up and talk about Miami just briefly, because that is a team that North Carolina will have to deal with. Without the transfer portal, mario cristobal would be in trouble right or would he be greg because he basically they were terrible this year um but he basically wanted to have a full roster reset and there's been other teams across the country but i think miami probably more so than any team in the conference is gonna look completely different maybe next year because the portal and what they're able to bring in and you know whatever they do with the bags of cash
0: yeah, there's there's good and the bad with with the portal, right? Because if you remember back just a couple of years ago, w- when Mac Brown was here, first got here in November of 2018, uh, that was a very quick turnaround with the signing day. And so I know there was a, a couple guys that had committed, and, and Mac evaluated them, and they had a they came to a decision to kind of part ways, but the portal wasn't in place at the time. And so it wasn't as though Matt could do a complete overhaul and kind of uh, have guys leave so he could clear out room for, for new, new talent. Well, that's changed now. And so if you're a – especially if you're a good recruiter and you have means to, to utilize funds for NIL like Mario does, you are. You can completely rebuild your roster quicker than you ever could before. I mean, look at Mike Norvell at Florida State. I think that's a good example. He had to do a complete refurb in terms of culture and personnel. Uh, and he came in prior to the portal. And so it took him a longer time. But when you look at what Mario's been able to do, I mean, he's, he's going to sign a top five class. And I know they've, they've been talking to recruits about trying to jump up on uh, Ohio State and, and Alabama and Georgia to try to get the number one class. They're already at 24 commits. They'll probably sign a few more. They've got a few more they're looking at. I'm sure they'll have plenty of guys come in through the portal, which means there's going to be more guys to go out through the portal. Uh, And so you just have much more uh, availability and uh, really a luxury to revamp your roster in quick order, and that was not the case just a few years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean – it was fascinating to watch Miami with Tyler Van Dyke being so good um, two years, I guess, season last season, and then this year struggling real bad. And then, you know, the way it sort of went down, it, it kind of reminds me, and obviously we don't pay attention as to rosters, individual player rosters for other teams as much as we do in basketball. But Miami's going to be like maybe, they, like I watched Duke and Wake Forest basketball last night. And I recognized one guy, Jeremy Roach, on the floor. And, that, you know, obviously you'd heard about recruits for Duke, but Miami will look completely different, significantly different next year.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think the Duke game last night is kind of a good example, too, of there's a lot of really good players on the floor for Duke. But most of them are freshmen. And I know a couple younger guys played. But if you don't have an elite guy like Apollo Bancaro, they just look like very talented freshmen. I mean, I don't know how you can look at that Duke team and say, wow, well, that's going to be a national title contender, right? Yeah. And that, that speaks to the issue of relying so much on on fresh faces, especially young guys. Uh, and so while Miami is going to have a, a top five class today, uh, you I think if they're banking on those guys – turning in elite performances next year, that's probably asking a lot. And that kind of goes back too, to, you know, Travis Shaw and Zach Rice didn't play a whole lot this year. Zach Rice really didn't play any, um, even though they're five-star guys, got to give them time, got to let them develop. Uh, and that that's part of the, the trajectory. That's part of the program building process.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting to me when you talk about um, Zach Rice not playing a lot, and I, I know that he wanted to play a lot, and I know that people around him wanted him to play a lot, but, Everybody always references, well, Georgia plays two freshman offensive linemen or, or whatever, and it's like that's because you hear about that. You don't hear about – and, Don, you speak to this all the time. You don't hear about the, you know, the 500 other freshman offensive linemen that are redshirting or, or not playing. Or, or So, you know, I agree it's a process. You don't want – if you can build a program such that you don't have young guys being the centerpieces, I, I think that is what Matt Brown's trying to do here.
3: Yeah, so we um, – we'll get to it, but we have another one in. Um, but so I'll, I'll just uh, respond to you. One of the things I like doing that gives <laughs> me – I feel like a lot of information, um, and I put it in the weekly scoop during the season, is keeping track of the true freshman, playing time, snap count, and all that sort of stuff. Because I know people are probably tired of me bringing it up, but I took a lot of heat – this time last year for a couple of months about Andre Green and about Zach Rice. and I mentioned, particularly with Zach Rice, because we had guys like Steve Wolfong who does an unbelievable job. Steve is amazing, especially when it comes to projecting where these guys are going to uh, sign and all that. But um, saying that those got that Zach Rice and Andre Green were going to play a ton as true freshmen. And I kept on pointing out that mathematically, that just doesn't happen, especially at the offensive line. And it was nothing against uh, Zach Rice or Andre Green. Andre Green, that is a huge uh, fan of the Scoop podcast, has been on at least once, maybe twice. Um, so it was nothing against those guys, but it just they just don't play very much. And as you mentioned, we hear about it because it's a big deal when someone does play. With that said, I'm surprised. By the lack of playing time for some of those games, for some of those guys, particularly in games like, I guess the Virginia Tech game got out of hand. Um, I feel like there's a couple other opportunities that some of the younger players could have just at least gotten in and didn't. Yes. I mean, am I wrong in this? I mean, what do what you? What are you
2: I, I think absolutely against Virginia Tech. Uh, I mean, Carolina wanted to win that game easily, but they could have gotten. Yeah. You know, they could have played the whole – they could have played second string the whole second half, and that game's never in doubt. Get the Virginia kids in there. But the, the, the issue, though, that pretty much the entire season um, – and we've talked about this – is, you know, they beat FAMU pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't as good as they expected. Yeah. But then everything else was pretty tight. Yes. Except for the Virginia Tech game, and what you can't do – Well,
3: Georgia State, they were able to get some guys in.
2: Uh, they did, but that was a seven-point game. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And, and – You know, they had how many turnovers in that game to keep Georgia State in it? So that you sort of have to force feed a similar in basketball. You got to force feed the young guys in there. Mm -hmm. I I was surprised that a guy like Rice didn't play a ton Mm -hmm. um, just because what we'd heard and what we were seeing on the field. Um, But yeah, to your point, uh, I mean, young guys when they play at Georgia, you're going to hear about it yeah. when they're everywhere else and they don't play, we don't know about it. And so it's just an interesting dynamic letter in Julian Randolph, independence high school, Virginia, tight end six foot five, <laughs> 220 pounds a John Lilly recruit mm-hmm. done uh, another, I guess a flip, technically a flip committed to uh, Vanderbilt earlier yeah, this year. So I and think came back to North Carolina. Yeah. Early.
3: So I think, um, Barton Simmons, you know, former twenty four seven sports uh, analyst. He uh, found th- found this kid early on. They jumped on him. He didn't have a whole lot of opportunities, so he committed to Vanderbilt. Once other schools started to put on his tape, saw some potential in him. Like North Carolina, UCLA was also involved. Miami was also involved. Um, they offered him. He opened up his recruitment. So he actually was. It was kind of almost a restart. I wouldn't consider it a flip per se. But uh, because he decommitted, then went and took visits to UCLA, Miami, and North Carolina, had initially planned on taking officials to Miami and UNC, Miami filled up, so he canceled the Miami official, committed to North Carolina. Uh, but, you know, he's a um, – he, you know, He's the, a great comparison for him is Bryson Nesbitt. That's
2: what I was going to say. It appears to be a younger version of Bryson Nesbitt.
3: Yes. You know, he's a, a big wide receiver in at the high school level um but um you know he doesn't maybe not fast enough um get enough separation to play that outside receiver at the college level you move that sort of guy as we're seeing with Bryce Nesbit you move that sort of guy to tight end and move him around a little bit and you can really create some uh, mismatches and I think that's what what randolph is is going to do
2: at North Carolina so so let me ask you this uh... Kendall Carr, transfer portal. Um, but you've got Kamari, Morales, Copenhaver, and Nesbitt, the aforementioned Nesbitt, um, all really similar, but, you know, almost a clone of Nesbitt. And then you've got Copenhaver and Morales as your traditional tight ends. Is this a guy, I mean, clearly, um, you're most likely going to redshirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is he a guy that you can see make significant impacts maybe after that redshirt season? Because Morales will move on. Mm-hmm. Well, I say that. <laughs> he might get a ninth year of eligibility <laughs> you never, never know really. uh, you assume that he will be gone eventually um and, and then the other guys uh, North Carolina managed to keep three tight ends extremely happy this year mm-hmm. and I thought that was an interesting dynamic compared to the Sam Howe years with Phil Longo's offense I mean they virtually didn't exist mm-hmm. and then Drake but it, but is this a guy who you can see coming in filling a role not next year um <laughs> unless something catastrophic happens but down the line and and sort of be a possession type guy or is he going to be a bigger play type guy because i think the tight ends the involvement in the offense for north carolina i think that was a separating point for me from the last year last couple years as far as offensive production
3: yeah so i think to answer your question after a year a redshirt year i definitely could see him contributing especially if um you know we, we see some um, some exits attrition. you know yeah attrition um, because I think I think he has a good frame he, he definitely has a good frame has has some bulk on him already probably want to uh, mold that a little bit better which the strength and conditioning staff and the nutritionist will will do over the course of um, his red shirt year and then he'll be able to uh, definitely contribute pretty early on in his UNC career.
2: Let me me ask you a question, Greg. What do we think of John Lilly as a coach at North Carolina? I mean, so when you look at coaches and say such and such is a great coach, great position coach, is it purely based on the production of their their room or is it something that we've seen? Because like I mentioned just a second ago, that tight end room, those virtually the same guys were in it and didn't do much. But then this year, um, you know, how much of that – falls on the coach, and a guy like Lily that everybody considers one of the best on the staff.
0: Got Don crawling around over here. (laughs) Well, Lily's had a great reputation as a position coach and as a good recruiter for a long time. Um, And tight end is one of those unique positions where you only have, you know, typically one guy on the field at any given time. Um, and so these guys tend to get overlooked. But to your point, you know, with with the uh, limited number of wide receivers on scholarship this year, which Mac Brown harped on last offseason about how they were trying to kind of get those numbers up, this was an opportunity for the tight ends really to become a, a bigger part of the offense. Uh, and they did that, to your point. And uh, I think you know, Longo did a good job kind of working them in more having somebody like Nesbitt who can kind of split out, you know, a lot of the the tight ends play detached now anyway. Uh, But for Lilly to be able to have three talented guys who were prepared, who did their job well, who are good blockers, uh, that he did what he needed to do. So I, I think when you're talking about one guy being good, okay, well, that's to be expected. But when you've got your entire three deep able to contribute, That that means you're doing something right. And I think that's important. Um, The other thing I want to throw in here we've talked so much about the COVID year in terms of eligibility and how that gives everybody an extra year. And so you got guys uh, that are 24, 25 being able to play because they get an extra year of eligibility. Bryson Nesbitt is is part of that first kind of group after where he doesn't get a COVID year because he wasn't here during COVID. And so he's going to be a junior. Um, and really only has two years of eligibility left, even though he's got three years to to play those two. Um, So when you start talking about some of these guys that are in the underclassmen groups now, they're not going to have that potential for a six-year. And with him and Copenhaver and Kamari Morales kind of getting up there, uh, that's the importance of, of a guy like Randolph coming in because there is separation in terms of eligibility. Uh, but that's a guy that, while next year you don't necessarily need him, that's a very important development year because they they may need him very quickly. Not just because of attrition, but because of the loss of players through loss of eligibility.
2: It, that that's the thing. And if if you're watching this and you don't go on Inside Carolina's recruiting board, not the mm-hmm. not the twenty four seven recruiting board. The the go on your Inside Carolina page. Go to the three dots. Pull down the football bowl recruiting board there that's don Collins. tommy just uh discovered it yesterday i uh, no, i had seen it <laughs> he but, had seen uh, it he heard about it uh, man calling me <laughs> out but but look at, to greg's point back on track you look and you see that you know kamari morales senior year eligibility junior wise uh, copenhagen junior sophomore oh, eligibility yes. wise nesbitt sophomore sophomore Greg Barnes does not eat. He's a machine. He's a Terminator. He
3: does not eat. I've never seen Greg Barnes eat, actually. I
2: don't understand. Drink,
3: probably to oil the machine.
2: You, you, you know, I don't understand, <laughs> and I don't want to say. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking, but I'm thinking of like the 400 pound guy in the basement. As much <laughs> as you're over there eating, I can't believe that you're not the 400 pound guy in your man's house <laughs> because you were kicking back the food left and right. You but anyway, the job of the hunt. <laughs> <four pound. laughs>
3: That's- and we get we gotta get Tommy in the uh, Princess Leia outfit. No, no,
0: no. no. I'll jump <laughs> the IC the recruiting show in 2030 is gonna be Don laid <laughs> yeah. out on the
2: couch. Um, yeah. <laughs> we saw that last year, didn't we? Um, with the with the socks, I was told just no socks. Uh, let's get back on track, fellas. So right. Shout out to the 414 people that are in the live chat right here. Ooh. Been going for two hours and 11 minutes and 52 seconds here at Inside Carolina Live Signing Day Show. Um, Some famous folks are are now in the chat. We've got uh, Taylor Vipolis bounced in, Joey Powell bounced in. I saw Ross in there earlier. Um, Alan Tindall asked, and I'll bring this question up. It'll be the first question I put on the board. And Don, this is for you. You asked me, but it's for you. We know if any of these recruits will be January enrollees. The answer to that is yes. yes. Tell us who.
3: So we cover this in the Weekly Scoop.
2: This week is that another reason to be an inside
0: Carolina? That is another reason. The
3: weekly scoop is a great, um, great uh, use of your time to read it on Tuesdays. Although I probably should let people know we will not be doing a weekly scoop next week for a lot of for a lot of different reasons. I'm, I'm assuming you could probably figure it out. But so UNC has nine, nine um, expected, or um, yeah, nine expected um, early enrollees. Paul Billups, Christian Hamilton, both wide receivers, linebackers, Amari Campbell, and Michael Short. All three of the offensive line pledges. We talked about two of them, DJ Gath and Robert Grigsby, and then also Nolan McConnell, who hasn't uh, sent his letter in yet. We do have a new letter in, so we'll get to that. Um, And then two other guys we talked about, J. Harvey, Tyler Thompson, and also quarterback Tad Hudson.
2: Do you want to... uh, (laughs) bring it in caleb cost has just added his name to the list the 10th letter of intent for north carolina grigsby thompson harvey duncanson laura adams campbell geth randolph and now caleb cost uh i will say this best name in the recruiting class in my opinion the cost of doing business as a defensive back
3: he also spells his name with a k my son spells his name with a k is a caleb with a k also
2: okay with respect to the young man we just uh, got a letter of intent notice on i will not say that your son's name is spelled wrong okay okay cost out of sandy creek high school in georgia another georgia recruit charlton warren seems to love some georgia don
3: yes well he's an atlanta native and really has kind of made a lot of uh, made his name as a recruiter recruiting that area. He knows the trainers there um, has a lot of ties to the high school coaches. I can remember when he was hired the first time around, I went to, I believe it was um, Tamon Fox's high school at the time, sat down with his high school coach. And um, as I said, you know, Warren was just hired and he was, he spoke very highly of Warren and just his relationship he had with him. Um, and so that obviously only helps recruit um players in that area. But yeah, so so Caleb Cost is a two sport kid, probably going to be drafted. Um I don't know if we know yet if it's going to be high enough to uh impact whether he ends up in North Carolina or not. I've asked him about that and he isn't he's unsure and he's undecided. I think that's probably the right approach. You want to wait to see what where you're actually drafted and what what the opportunity is before you make a decision. But if he ends up in North Carolina, which is I think the expectation right now, He'll play both sports. He's a kid who played both ways for a state championship team. Um, it's one of the higher levels. I don't believe it was the highest level in Georgia, but definitely played against some, some big-time competition. Um, I can actually – I had his – let's see. I do have his stats up. He had some really good receiving numbers.
2: I've got you 63 for 11, 69, and 14 touchdowns over the past two seasons. Just curious. Just curious. <laughs> just curious. Why do we combine junior and senior stats on our list
3: uh well you have the i have the actual high of the, the senior year um on that
2: this is what you provided me that's what said, i provided you
3: this. and um <laughs> and that's just it gives you a better grasp of it i guess i, I, mean, I, I guess... mean it depends it wasn't for every guy it's just if if the junior senior seasons were good and um you know just just make sure you could look at it
2: so, so uh, l- looking at what you have listed physicality an inside the box guy a nickel um, sort of give us a player comp on the currents I mean is it Connolly is Ooh. it is DeAndre no Felix?
3: it's not Connolly. um although I think he's probably a nickel guy he's more of a cover he's a nickel guy but he's more of a cover guy um but he's he's physical but he's not on the level as of Connolly as it um God I don't even know if I would I, I would bring up um, Boykin either for him Um, because I think he's more of a, he's more of a hybrid nickel safety and even he could play some corners. I don't think North Carolina, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone on North Carolina's current roster that I would compare him to because he is a little bit more versatile and can, you know, he could play corner. He could play safety for North Carolina. Um, I just think that because of his physicality, because of his comfort inside the box, that, that nickel spot is is probably his best
2: um, fit. Well, uh, as we've seen, and we saw a lot this year, if you have a nickel that doesn't have those coverage skills, mm-hmm. they're going to get cooked yes. repeatedly. And we saw that. We saw teams take advantage of it. Um, we saw Boykins get, take advantage Well, so of that's that
3: I fact. guess that's what I would say. I, was, I would say that he brings that coverage skills to the – he is – I hate to compare a college kid to a high school kid. At similar stages, let's just say. Coming out of high school, Coss is a better cover guy than Boykin was and then than Connolly was coming out of high school. Whereas both of those guys, way more physical, way more um uh I guess successful in run support.
1: You ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts
4: spectacular.
3: Citizen sleuths are focusing on the
0: brutal slayings of four college kids.
1: A new Paramount Plus original docu-series.
0: This is the start of something major.
1: Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders.
0: There's plenty of places to
4: hide a weapon.
1: And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Quit as a roommate. It yeah. is a huge I night. I want the
4: truth
0: from you.
1: Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.
0: Don, you know, we used to talk about tweeners a lot, mm-hmm. and that kind of became like an ideal uh, skill set, you know, once spread offenses blew up 15 years ago. Uh, with, with the jack position really being you need to be able to rush off the edge while also having strength to, to deal with tackles and tight ends as one of these hybrid, hybrid positions. Then you've also got the nickel where – they're using that role and you know i keep going back to cam chancellor as like the ideal guy right of Mm -hmm. somebody who can light you up in the box but can also cover Mm -hmm. uh even though that's kind of a tweener type role are those guys just few and far between that can do everything
3: yeah no i mean have someone to do everything those are the elite guys i mean because you're bringing up a, a guy who's a great nfl player you know so um so yeah so that's why i think it's good you bring that up because i think what we have is we have Boykin who played this season who is great against the run piles up the, the, the TFLs is decent in coverage. Um, but Caleb cost is decent against the run. Um, probably going to be a lot better in coverage sort of thing. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I think if Caleb cost could do all of those things, he's probably four or five star kid and, and a four or five star kid in Georgia, typically stays in the sec
2: yeah i mean you mentioned the baseball aspect of it and you know i love some baseball and you know who knows how that draft worked but the money in baseball has gotten ridiculous yeah and and so um hopefully for him he'll have to make a decision on whether to go to college or, or take some money and run and we'll find that out the you know north carolina baseball team has had issues with signees going to the league and not making it to campus, we'll see if Caleb Cost is one mm-hmm. of those. But expect him in North Carolina. Like I said, best name in the recruiting class thus far. Don, I'm gonna break in a couple questions for you as we, we wait. We have a signee. We have another one. Yeah. Let's see, why would you put that back behind my head, man? We, we got all this space up here. I can't see that one. No one. Tommy
0: mom. is complaining about having three TVs to look at. No, just yeah. so everyone? Knows.
2: So, so we have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now, we got 11 screens in this room, if you count phones. Folks, this is the epitome of excess here. Trying to find your notes. Break it down. Nolan McConnell for the North Carolina fan base as I update our – whatever you call that our, – our stream at the bottom. Okay.
3: So, he's the third <laughs> offensive lineman to commit to North Carolina – well, the third – there's three there's three commits, two of them've already put their letters in. He's the third one to come in. All three will enroll early. This is a kid who, I think he was project he, he, I don't want to say he didn't like the process. He was a no, he took a no nonsense approach to the recruiting process, wanted to get it over with. You can kind of see it in his actions. I think early on, he was on a fast track to commit to UVA. North Carolina came in with an offer and completely just changed his recruitment. And it wasn't long after that that he uh, committed to the Tar Heels. He didn't even take his officials until – he didn't take his UNC official until December, didn't take any other official visits. Uh, this is a kid who's a big kid. He's athletic, toolsy kid. I, I know we threw that term around a lot. Plays defense, uh, defensive line, offensive line. Um, needs needs a lot of development, you know, mostly used as a run blocker. but has the length, has the size, has a foot quickness to develop into an offensive tackle. If if he excels in those aspects throughout his development, he could be a blindside protector sort of guy. So he, he's another one, very high ceiling. Um, it's just a matter of whether his tools can be molded into a, an elite player.
2: A couple questions based on that. Colonial Forge High School, what kind of level – of competition is that since we've talked about that in Stafford, Virginia, and also Jack McNeil, his primary recruiter, of course, now the offensive line coach at Wisconsin. Sort of take us through those two aspects of this. Um, can you repeat the questions? Um, <laughs> you are a teenager looking at your phone when grown ups talking. <laughs> Colonial Forge High School yes. in Stafford, Virginia. Level of competition.
3: Solid. Uh, it's not bad at all. I mean, that's that's right outside of um, the D.C. area, basically. And um, so there there are some some good talent up in that area.
2: And then Jack Bicknell, we talked about this off-air a little bit mm-hmm. and a little bit on. But, you know, he's your primary recruiter. Yeah. And now he's not there. Clearly, offensive line coach is going to be most of the offensive lineman's primary guy. Not always. But Bicknell's moved on. How did that affect this recruitment? Obviously, it did not because he sent yeah. a letter of intent. But but your thoughts there, um, committing to a guy and then not actually having a chance to play for well, a guy. Well,
3: not only was Jack McNeil his primary recruiter, but he was um, – Nolan was Jack McNeil's first offer as a UNC coach. I don't think – it obviously didn't matter. I think that this was, a like I said, a no-nonsense kid, valued education, valued location. You know, if you look at the schools he visited, all of them were within a reasonable driving distance, like the campus. He made a ton of visits after he had, well, actually made a ton of visits beforehand before he even got the offer. I think he visited North Carolina twice. He gets the offer, visits North Carolina once with his mom, once with his dad, then ends up committing, then ended up making it to a bunch of practices made it to a bunch of games um, This was a kid who loved the Chapel Hill area, loved the education, and that mattered more to him than his relationship with Jack Bicknell. I'm sure he didn't like seeing Bicknell leave, but um, that clearly didn't impact him.
2: So I'm going to bust out a question. I told you, you got anything, Greg, on that subject um, before I bring a question in, before we get another commit?
0: Uh, Just let me say one thing. I I, I did the math, so I wanted to share this when we got to the the next offensive lineman commit. But we are talking about uh, not many offensive linemen playing for Carolina this past season. The starters played, according to Pro Football Focus, 4,691 snaps, which is 94% of the available snaps for North Carolina in 13 games. The other reserves, and I think Jonathan Adorno had the most, around 200, played 299 snaps. So um, I think that is something that will be interesting to see how uh, Clements handles rotations. I mean, McNell told us last spring that ideally yeah, he would be able to play eight guys. And I think that's what most offensive linemen want, offensive line coaches want. You, know, you, you play three tackles, you play three guards and two centers. Uh, and that, that's, that's ideal. That did not happen this year, even though there are supposedly some talented guys in the backup roles. And with North Carolina, regardless of what some of the seniors who potentially can come back do, uh, if, they don't, if they do come back, they're going to be gone next year anyway. So I, I think it's really important for some of these younger guys to see more time next year because there's going to be a lot of holes to fill in 2024.
2: That's a great point of that, about that. And those guys played and stayed relatively healthy all year. Uh, um, and those backup snaps came from when guys were dinged up or whatever. And, of course, North Carolina last year had trouble keeping the center healthy and all that. And then Corey Gaines was able to play. Gosh, he probably played every available snap, didn't he? Can yeah, I, was, I did a – Except for twenty. Except for twenty snaps. And <laughs> when, that's just I knew that
3: the the starters played a bunch. I did this um to kind of get an idea of who played, who didn't play, sort of um layout of the numbers in a weekly scoop. I think it was like just before the NC State game. And I was floored by just how much these Stars played. And I just feel like it's it's I get it that the games were close. I just I don't know. I just feel like there there had to be some more opportunities to get Zach Rice into some games, especially with. Let, let me just ask you guys, and maybe this is a terrible question to ask, but who is the worst offensive line? Worst offensive line starter. Well,
0: I, Spencer Rowland.
3: Okay. What but, position could Zach Rice have slid into just to see you know what what we maybe have
2: that position? But what got me and you guys have the numbers is that. Jason Staples pushed back on that the other day and said that Spencer Rowland was graded out. And, Greg, you could probably call it up right there. Graded out is basically a a P5 starter at that position. Uh Uh-oh, we're on the big screen now. Well,
0: he wasn't quite at at that grade. He he graded out at 66.2, which is okay. And compared to – I think what Jason was getting at was compared to his teammates, his numbers weren't that bad. Carolina's offensive alignment, on the whole, did not grade out as successfully as as maybe you would like, and that's that's kind of been a case under the the Longo years, of and some of it's the zone blocking scheme, but the the running backs are the ones that have gotten a lot of the praise from PFF, and that makes offensive line grading problematic anyway. But yes, yeah, Spencer certainly had some some difficult games against good defensive ends, especially late in the year. Uh, But in terms of Zach Rice, PFF's got him playing, having played two games, 16 snaps. Um, He played 10 against Florida A&M and then six in the final, six snaps in the final 12 games of the year. So that's two games there that you haven't used him in. Maybe, hopefully he'll get some reps in the bowl game but I'm kind of with Don of like, if this is the guy that you expect to be, I I get him not being a key rotation guy this year as a true freshman, but you want to give him some snaps so that he can really have some experience and understand the speed of the game uh, going into the off season. That just did not occur. That's also another gripe of mine, Tommy, Florida A&M being week zero. I get it. You have a, a young guy quarterback that you want to get him an easy win out of the gate, but by not having an FCS opponent later in the season, even if it's two weeks later, you really miss out on the opportunity to get a lot of young guys, a ton of snaps. Uh, And because they had so many close games throughout the year, there wasn't an opportunity late in the year to say, okay, we're going to take a breather. This is going to be an easy win. Therefore we can, we can play a lot of young guys. That just did not happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they, I think they approached that they had an FCS game there, the 11th game of the season with Georgia Tech coming in, and, and they found out um, really quick that at and I, You know, I think with Montelus moving on, uh, I think Zach Rice will certainly have an opportunity to get some snaps in there. I asked Randy Clements or, or somebody at the press conference, asked Randy Clements, I wrote it up, what's your philosophy on playing more than five offensive linemen in a game? And this is from the article on Inside Carolina. Everybody can read it. Play the best five at a time one of your fives dog-tired and you have a backup that's better when he's fresh, play him. The offensive line guys should be the best five, have the best five on the field. So I don't know if the prospect's going to change a whole lot. We have a guest. We have a guest. Uh, oh. as I bring him in. Okay, so how are we going to do this? So. We do have a
3: letter in, we but we can. have a
2: letter. Let's go ahead and get Mr. Dawn in. Okay. You want
3: both of us or? Okay. Greg does not like, he does not like guests. I love guess. doesn't seem like it, Greg.
2: What's going on, Mr. Brian Dome? Tommy Ashley here. Don Callahan's over there. I think we both can hear you.
3: Yeah, I can. I
4: think. Well, yeah. Good morning, guys. Well, for now, it feels like it's afternoon already, but good morning.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, when, when we have to get to Don's house at 6 30 in the morning and the roosters are still crowing and it's pitch dark outside. It does feel like it's afternoon already. I appreciate you taking a chance or taking the time to join us. I know it's a busy time. Um, we're here on inside Carolina's live YouTube stream talking about North Carolina's recruiting class. Let, let me ask you um, just a holistic question, looking at it from your perspective. How is Mac Brown done um, here on December 21st? both relatively to the national scale and relative to Mac Brown's past at North Carolina?
4: Well, I I don't think it's lived up to what he's been in the past. Um, You know, more schools coming in to recruit the state of North Carolina. You know, if you look at just the last few years and what he did in-state with the top players, um, North Carolina was pulling in, you know, more of the top players. But sometimes there's going to be evening out. You know, there's a lot of talk going into the season about what was Carolina going to be, you know, have they maximized their talent and look, they made it to the ACC championship game. So they had a successful season from that standpoint, the defense got better as the season went on and that stuff that you can all sell in recruiting. But the issue is with recruiting, by the time the season starts, 90% of your class is usually done, maybe 85% in the case of Carolina. And so, this, what they did this season should show more in the 24 class, but you know I, I don't think it's up to what Mac Brown did the first few years. But that's not to say it's a bad class. You know it has some depth, it has talent in it. It's just not to the standard that it was maybe the last few. And part of that to me is you know they they did a great job in Virginia in the last few classes, and I don't feel like there was that high end talent in Virginia. You know, the kind of depth that there were in some other classes, especially when you look at last year, I heard you guys talking a little bit about Zach Rice. Um, you know, there were some really good players coming out of there. And while there's still, you know, a lot of talent there, maybe not the top echelon and, and maybe North Carolina where they had some ends, whether it was Dre Bly in the 757 and extending over to Richmond, it, maybe that's the depth isn't there. And so it was a little harder for them.
3: I want to ask you about a specific player. And you know, we, we've had this conversation before um, a lot. You're probably tired of hearing the name Chris Culliver. So um, how
4: can I be tired of your voice? Let's be <laughs> honest.
3: Those all don't know, Brian and I talk almost every day. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know I'm a huge Chris Culliver guy. And in my preparation for today, I'm, I'm just floored. I mean, his his stats are just off the charts. I know he doesn't play against the greatest competition, but his stats are just insane you can't ask for them to be any better than what they were he's an unbelievable basketball player also he's a track kid he has legit size I know that you're not the only I guess decision maker when it comes to the rankings and I don't want to call out 24-7 sports because I love 24-7 sports but they actually have him ranked lower than every other um, entity out there what's what's the beef with Chris Culver I mean you could he potentially get any sort of bump before the, um, the February signing period?
4: Yeah, a lot of the discussion will go into February. You know, in January, um, once we got through this past cycle, you, you, you know, we, we updated some things uh, maybe about, what, a week ago. Um, I was down. I got to see him at Shrine Ball practice. I was really impressed. Now, the rankings, look, we know the subjective. If we got every one of them right, it, you know, that just doesn't happen. And neither, neither does any other site get every, of them, every one of them right. And so it's different things that you're looking for. Look, I like the way he got out of breaks. I like the way he adjusted to passes. He, he seemed like a natural pass catcher. You know, like you mentioned, he's got the multi-sport background, and, and that's another thing we look at. Now, he's not the biggest guy. Um, And I think that's one of the things he's got a lot of work to do throughout his frame, but he's definitely a guy that we're going to revisit in January now, especially with me seeing him down at Shrine Bowl practice and being able to go back and say, okay, you know, we do it as a committee, we speak about it as a committee, but having a live eval will really help in the process. And like I said, I mean, just because we have them lower doesn't mean we're wrong just because others have them higher doesn't mean they're right um you're you're trying to just you know you you do the best you can um through it with each individual prospect and listen there's going to be guys that we have high that the other three entities have lower that we'll miss on or they'll miss on um but i understand why it becomes something that inside Carolina is interested in because he's committed to inside Carolina, Don, you and I have spoke about him a lot, just in terms of his ability, his stats and listen, the stats are great. You'd like to see that, um, to me, if you are a big time player and going to play power five football, especially at North Carolina, the one of the better teams in the ACC, well, you should have really good stats. I mean, that's why North Carolina is recruiting you, whether you're in '87 or '93. Um, so that that's just something that, yeah. He, if if he didn't have gaudy stats, that would be concerning.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Brian Doan, twenty-seven sport, 20 twenty-four-seven sports. It's been a long morning already. I apologize. I should know. Well, that. and plus you're with Don, so it makes it twice as long. Uh, yeah, at least <laughs> it, 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 well. I don't know. I kind of like Don sometimes, yeah, but it, Ryan, it's been a long couple of days. Bad rat. He, he, uh, he. I will give you that he is an interesting fella. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people in the chat. Uh, one thing that uh, inside Carolina folks will do: well, they will pipe up when they believe one of their guys is uh, underrated, and and so you've you've explained Culver there pretty pretty well for folks. Um, and, and we've had debates over the years about guys that were rated maybe too high or too low, and it all seems to come out in the wash ultimately. But let me ask you sort of another big-picture question. Um, looking at this class, Don clearly loves Chris Culliver. Um, <laughs> but when we're talking about the class, where else can North Carolina – they filled some needs, clearly. But but who else in this, in this class do you believe um, can provide some – Carolina some not maybe not immediate help but some significant help sooner than later when you address all of them
4: yeah and and to me um listen man you better be special to provide significant help as a true freshman um, and that doesn't matter if you're a running back a db i think the hardest part to do it is on the the line of scrimmage just because especially in this era of some super seniors where you're going to have 18 and 19 year old kids going into North Carolina playing against 23 and 24 year olds. And and that's a big difference. But for me, listen, the two guys I love are the two guys at the top of the class for me is Jabron Harvey and Tyler Thompson. I think when you're talking about how do you make a difference, especially on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, I know Drake may is, is still with North Carolina and you guys know better than me. I'm sure there's, more programs that are coming into his DMs and all that stuff. Um, but I, I, I joke. I feel like um, about that. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, <laughs> don't, listen. Don't He's said, me intro, Don, 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 you and I have talked about it. He's a Carolina <laughs> kid through and through from a Carolina family, so I think a lot of that stuff about whether he was leaving was was much ado about nothing. But for me, I want to see, you know, you have you have the quarterback situation set for next year, so now you got to find somebody who can help on the defensive side. And, you know, I, I look at Jabron Harvey and in September, maybe he, he's not going to be as big as a player, but maybe by the time October comes and he gets the reps and, you know, gets through practice and gets his feet wet. Maybe he's a guy that can go get the quarterback. Come October, November and, and Tyler Thompson is just another kid I absolutely love. I mean, I love his athleticism, his side, his speeds off, speed off the edge, his closing speed, change direction. You know, you can drop him into coverage. You, you can do a lot of things with him as well. And so when I look at it, they, you're, you're two top rated players in the class are guys that are at a premium position. And for me, that's really important. And I'll, I'll tell you what, man, and I told Don this, and, and I remember when he was committed to Vanderbilt, I, I watched Julian Randolph's tape, and I just thought he was a really good tight end prospect who could go get the ball. I, I think he has a mentality to block. Um, it's going to take them a little while just in terms of learning the route concepts, what they want them to do in off, on the offensive side, being able to block college kids. But I'm telling you, man, the tight end position gets overlooked a lot until, and and you don't really notice it a ton until you have a really good one. And and I think Julian Randolph has a chance to be a really good tight end. I, I, just, I just think that he brings so much to the table in terms of athleticism, and ball catching skills intelligence Um, you know he's just got to get stronger like they all do but I you know those are three guys off off the top of my head that I I really like
3: so we reached into the chat to get some questions and so this is a kid
0: uh,
3: I love the kid uh, definitely as a kid but also he has tons of um, talent Um, he could be he could be frustrating at times when sometimes you, you watch him long enough Tad Hudson. What, uh, what's your thoughts and how, for me, I'm just talking about for me, um, evaluating him, ranking him is always Very been difficult. difficult. Yes. Because of just the inconsistency. Can you kind of speak to just what you've kind of dealt with, with, with evaluating him and, and just your thoughts on Tad Hudson in general?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, the first time I saw Tad was, I think coming out of his sophomore season or maybe during his sophomore season when there was COVID and he was just kind of at, at a camp, I thought he threw a really beautiful ball had really good touch on some things. The arm strength was good and you knew it would get better as his career progressed and and he got more mature. But it's what you just said, Don, it's the the inconsistency. um, Some of it was the accuracy. They did not ask him to throw the ball down the field a ton this season, um, especially from the film I watched. Um, and, And so You know, that's a battle in terms of, you know, I remember when Caleb Williams, who just won the Heisman and we were going through um, his ranking and the knock on him was his completion percentage was in the low fifties. And how can you be an elite quarterback with a completion percentage in the low fifties, but when you broke down his film, you saw that receivers weren't getting open, he was under duress every play and you wondered what he would be like when he got some time, when, when he had receivers to throw to. And, and obviously we see what happened with college and going to play for Lincoln Riley as a quarterback probably helps a smidge too. So with Tad Hudson, I think, you know, a lot of short stuff, a lot of quick reads, um, and so it made it a little more difficult. Now I I've, I'll, I'll say it. I I've been higher on Tad Hudson than, than a lot of guys on the committee. With that said, I'm still comfortable with where he is ranked. Um, I I just feel like there's more in there than what he has shown, and I keep going back to watching him and how pretty of a ball he threw, watching him live, and the arm strength was there. And I just feel like there's something about him that has some kind of winning formula in him. And and I think when I and those are all things that are really hard to put into numbers and then say, okay, how does this translate into a ranking? And so I I think he has some of those intangibles that unless you follow him, know him, talk to him, you you may not appreciate. I I know I appreciate and and he's a quarterback I like a lot.
2: Interesting take there, Tad Hudson, of course, North Carolina's lone quarterback commit for the 2023 class. Don Callahan, anything more for the professional Brian Doan?
3: I just appreciate Brian's time as always, especially this is, uh, like all of us, one of the busier days. So he made some time for the Inside Carolina subscribers. So I appreciate him doing that for us today.
2: Yeah, Brian, we appreciate you taking time. Hopefully you and Don Callahan can get a little bit of rest at the end of this day.
3: We're going to vacation together.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I will say this. Listen. I know there's always questions about rankings and that's great because it shows they care. It it holds us accountable in a, in a good way and whatever, you know. And so I always welcome that stuff and listen, you sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong and what I like about Inside Carolina is if you explain where you're coming from, they may not agree but they understand it. And so I always enjoy coming on on your on your on the Inside Carolina site and with you guys. No matter how what a hard time I give Don, he's a he's a hard worker and a good dude. So just don't tape that part of it.
2: Oh, he he's
3: certainly will take it that. Too. We're going to take that part out of the uh,
4: of, the, of the live feed. Well,
2: we do appreciate you taking the time, right. and uh, we'll talk again soon. That's Brian Don, twenty four seven sports, um, Don supervisor. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian.
4: Thank you, guys.
2: All right, what a great guest! Uh, I mean, I'm I'm battling bots in the chat, trying to talk Is there to. Bots? There are always bots. Uh, um, it just takes the time. Yeah. So
3: this live, um, I guess, podcast, whatever, or something that uh, that,
2: that there's some there's some
3: um, edgy comments towards me on in this chat. Uh,
2: I mean, I think your your buddies on there, yeah, about the, the professed love for Chris Culliver. Look, we've got a couple other. Uh, letters have dropped in when yeah we we're talking and let's get right to it um, we got two i think right Yep, yeah, we got christian hamilton let me find his in hickory ridge high school another wide receiver i was going to ask don about him but how does he compare to chris Culliver? i mean let's, let's so he's so so if
3: we're just kind of laying it out and like setting our offense hamilton is uh is um the slot guy and Culver is the outside guy. Um, obviously, that's simplistic, but um, I think what Culver, I'm sorry, what Hamilton brings is he's he's an edgy guy. You know, he actually um, very very competitive. His numbers dropped his senior season. And I think a lot of that was he was asked to do things that um, you know to help the team and not necessarily help his profile. You know, playing some more defense, being more of a blocker and um, and that and like I said that hurt his um, his stock a little bit, hurt his his stats. but I think long term that's a great that's what you want to see out of out of a kid. Um, but uh, yeah he's a kid another another UNC alum as a, as a coach I did not cover um, Jupiter Wilson coming out of high school but uh, but obviously that only helps. Um, Although he would have been happy if Culver, uh, sorry, if if Hamilton would have went to Clemson, Um, but uh, obviously um, um, I know Jupiter was happy to see one of his pupils sign with UNC.
2: So Joel Starlings dropped in, defensive lineman out of Benedictine in Richmond. Um, I I love Don's uh, descriptors. Oh boy, when he's talking, I'm I'm going to read this word for word because I find this is Starlings is a deceptively athletic. Run plugging defensive tackle, strong at the point of attack, make plays while taking on blockers. Uh, this seems like something North Carolina could certainly use. Sort of describe a. Here's my favorite thing: is the the level of competition, mm-hmm. um, and, and also how it projects forward for North Carolina. And his lead recruiter, Tim Cross.
3: So, first to address what you brought up about my my descriptions. You know, with these, I like to bust out the paintbrushes and get a little little artsy with it. I want to paint a picture in your mind. I want you to visualize this recruit when you are reading my description. So hopefully, I was able to accomplish that with at least a couple of of these descriptions. But yeah, I mean, he's a kid who. Um, so the level of competition, same level of competition as uh, Andre Green, the same exact um, private school league in Virginia. It's an interesting league because. There are definitely high level players that come out of this league, but um, I don't think you're always playing against those high level guys. George Petaway also came out of this league, too, so definitely some players. But I think a lot of these teams have two or, or two or one or two really, really, really good players, power five players, and then the rest are cans.
2: <laughs> so, tomato cans, trash cans. Tomato cans.
3: cans. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so you know, you're not necessarily going up against, you know, when, when Benedictine played against, um, I probably shouldn't use the term cans. It's going to get me in trouble. Um, but uh, when Benedictine played against St. Christopher two years ago, it wasn't like Andre Green was going up against jo- uh, Joel Starlings, but they definitely obviously shared the football field, and there definitely was some talent on that football field at that time.
2: I mean, it's all relative when you're looking at high school guys anyway. You're looking at motor. You're looking at um, love of the game and all that. And, and, you know, you got to dominate in high school to be really successful on the college level. A couple questions um, while we wait for the next thing, and I want folks in the chat to put where you're from. So let's see who's the furthest away. Um, I saw somebody say they're in southern Utah, so that's pretty cool watching us live shout out to the 475 plus people in the live youtube stream jordan louis brian green will commit i guess at 10 o'clock coming up shortly um we, we will be here I uh, have a feeling we will be here for a while greg barnes don callahan there again inside carolina's signing day special i had a question i can't find it oh yes i am going to ask the question that i wanted to ask a long time ago uh-oh and this is your homework don oh boy I'm not going to do the name because I'm not sure I, I, I like the name, and it's a question from early this morning. If there's some downtime, okay, I'd love for Don to break down each IC staff member oh, as if they were a recruit. <laughs> what position would they play? What value would they bring to the program? So you have that as your homework. Okay, you can, you can do oh, it. Oh man,
3: this is so. Am I projecting for a football team? What? However, you don't you
2: cover uh, football Ooh. recruiting, so I mean, yeah, you know,
3: we have some sensitive people that we work with,
2: you know. I do not disagree <laughs> with that statement. So I'll take you off the hook. We have a letter of intent, okay, that has come in. Michael Short.
3: Yes, we talked about him a little bit earlier with uh, Kennedy Tinsley, his coach.
2: Kennedy Tinsley, of course, on North Carolina Tar Heel, Mallory Creek High School, probably the the most dominant or one of the most dominant high schools here in North Carolina, Michael short, a late ad, mm-hmm. a relatively late ad, sort of what he brings. I want to say, is, is he a squatty Mike linebacker? No, um, you
3: could read the description. I'm
2: aware, but I want you to tell our people um, because they don't get this inside stuff. It's inside well, Carolina, they... but this is inside, inside Carolina.
3: Yeah. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that's the stuff that uh, is going to,
2: well, as they're coming out. Oh, so this is dropping. Yeah, this so is dropping. Spoil it. Long versatile linebacker. Short was productive. Um, this is one of those things I will ask you. Tell me about that level of competition and how he projects, and, and give me a player comp. I'm gonna put you on. This so this spot. is
3: well. This is gonna be easy. The player comp. said Gray, Charlotte kid. Both were long, um, versatile linebackers coming out of um, high school. The main difference between the two was that said played at Audrey Kell High School, Charlotte School, but um, not as deep of a roster compared to Myers Park, Mount Creek, Huff High, High School. They definitely produce players. They've, they've sent a lot of players onto the Power 5 level. Um, but because of the lack of depth on their roster, they don't have the luxury of just kind of having their guys focus on one specific position and that's it. And so a guy like Cedric who was by far the best football player for a couple of seasons. They played him at wide receiver because that's what they needed. They needed they needed the offensive um, production from him. He did play a little bit of defense, particularly during his senior season because they had a coaching change, and the former defensive coordinator became the head coach, and naturally he wanted to get his best player on defense a little bit more. But uh, with with Michael Short, competition-wise, you don't get much better than the Charlotte area with who you're playing against, especially at Mallow Creek where they actually venture out of – North Carolina. They usually play a um, a top South Carolina school um, every year. I think they may even play to Georgia. I'd have to look at their schedule, but I think they may even play to Georgia powerhouse also. So um, the, the competition is certainly there and he put up big numbers. I think it was 121 tackles he had on the season. He's a kid who, and we talked about this earlier with Kennedy Tinsley, who showed some promise. I mean, he, he landed 30 scholarship offers, Coming out of his junior season, all of them were were a group of group of five or under, and then um, he he broke out his senior season, picked up an offer from Missouri, North Carolina, Wake Forest, and that obviously altered his recruitment. He ended up signing with North Carolina, committing a week ago. I think Greg has a question. You yeah. don't have the mic. Can
2: y'all read that? So I asked people to put in where they're from. Victor Little, I need photographic proof that you are in um, south of Lake oh, wow. in north of that Milan, is cool, Italy, because that might have set the record because that's literally on the other side of the world.
3: Yeah, Victor, could we somehow, how could we get evidence from Victor?
2: Send me a picture at Tommy at com. Not none of your body. No, 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 no. I want scenery. <laughs> And I want uh, proof of life, so I need a newspaper proof of life with a date on it or something. Yeah. I You know, if someone told me right now to go get a newspaper,
3: it would probably take me five hours.
0: <laughs> It'd take you longer than that. They don't have them anywhere anymore. You can't get them at gas stations. Uh, so I think, uh, Victor, you just need to reach out to us, and maybe we can host this uh, at your place yeah. next year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Uncle Buck, Uncle Buck's going to pay
3: to fly us out to Italy.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, Don, you mentioned that we we spoke with Kennedy Tinsley earlier. For those who have joined recently, that interview took place at, at 830. It really is a, a good listen. One thing I wanted to ask you about Kennedy um, with him coaching Michael and didn't get around to it is, well, let me say this first. There's a lot of former college football players who are coaching at high schools across the country. And the large majority of them are in it for the kids, and while they do have a rooting interest in their team, they're they're most focused on doing what's best for their players. So they want to put them in a good situation, wherever that may be. Uh, So I think we need to establish that line first. From that though, how beneficial and what impact does having somebody like Kennedy Tinsley, who is a recent Carolina graduate, played for the program? to have him in state at a powerhouse program, uh, just in terms of kind of the dynamics with the staff and kind of spreading the word about what the North Carolina program is about and what it's been about over the years.
3: So, you know, it, well, first Buck is in the chat, um, (laughs) responding. Yeah. (laughs) Um, maybe if we do a good enough job this last hour, maybe he'll change his mind. Um, so I think, and I was trying to look it up real quick, but I'm not going to find it, and it's not great radio for me to just sit there and look up. But um, I asked Michael that specifically when he received the North Carolina offer, and he said something to the effect of, you know, uh, Kennedy's not pushing him in any direction, but it does, you know, looking at Kennedy, seeing what he's become. Um, he, he's basically an example of what happens if you go to North Carolina. You know, he has a good job. He's a good man, good family guy. Um, he has, I think he has three daughters and one son. Um, had to try four times to get that son in there. I can't imagine. I have one daughter. I can't imagine three. Um, but, um, yeah, so I think just having that example around, because Kennedy's not like a, I mean, obviously, he brings his kids to North Carolina for the camps and everything. I think um, he brought them up there. He did. He, he brought them up for the 707. He also brought them up there for one of the one-day camps. Um, He's not a big rah-rah UNC guy, but it's clear that he went to UNC. And I think just the example that he exhibits makes that impact. Same thing with Jupiter. He's not a big rah-rah UNC guy at all, but, I mean, you know he went to North Carolina and just seeing what he has become, that that, that speaks more than someone pushing you to to a school. And I think some of these kids... I have never had this happen or never witnessed this or, or aware of it. But I think in a lot of these situations, these are high school kids. I mean, you guys know if you push them some direction, they're going the other way as fast as possible. So I think almost that some of that stuff kind of, kind of works, um, against it. So I think it kind of helps North Carolina. that These guys aren't pushing their kids to UNC. You
2: know, it's a fine line, you know, and, and we've seen how it works, uh, Shout out to Victor responding in the chat. Um, we look forward to it. Shout out to Buck Sanders for, for breakfast with Don from the Man Tower. Buck Sanders joining us in the chat. A uh, question, Don, in the chat. And, and look, when we first started doing this, we anticipated 7 to 10 with some with some extra coverage, um, the well, Jordan right. Louis commitment. Jordan Louis. So, and we also um, have a new letter in. So while I'm getting that set up, Real quick, Evan Kirk asked you to preview the Louis commitment um, coming up. So just briefly, um, can you tell us what to expect here in the next few minutes? So he's
3: supposed to be announcing it on his Instagram page. Um, I will pull that up as soon as I get a chance, and I can give that to you guys. Um, But um, he's down to North Carolina, West Virginia, and Vanderbilt. He was committed to West Virginia, actually – Another former UNC player slash uh, coach, Chad Scott, for his commitment to West Virginia. He's another kid whose senior season did really well, drew the attention of Clemson, Florida State, Georgia, and obviously North Carolina. Of the four, only North Carolina ended up offering him, and that put North Carolina in a great spot to uh, land the commitment today. So we'll see if that actually comes to fruition.
2: So as we wait for that announcement, uh, Don Callahan is going to be the happiest man in the room. Oh boy. Chris Culliver's <laughs> letter has arrived in the North Carolina football offices, maiden high school, wide receiver. What more can you say about this young man that you have not already said? I mean, you, you, you put Brian Don on the spot mm-hmm. about the rankings, um, but the bottom line is as North Carolina's receivers have had some success. They've had some great quarterbacks over the last three years, four years. And now Chris Culver comes in and adds to that room.
3: Yeah, so I think the thing with him is he's just a raw talent, and I I do think that there's different levels to high school production, and his high school production is just it's mind blowing. Looking at his numbers, you know, I mean he 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 wasn't that far away from having 2,000 receiving yards in in 14 games. He barely played any defense and had five interceptions. He returned just one. Kick return, 87 yards for a touchdown. Odds are, teams saw that and were like, "We're staying away from him." If you talk to high school coaches in the area, they constantly game plan for him. I promise you, no one was kicking to him to him um, on purpose at all. You know, I just feel like um, when I talk to these 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 um, the rankings committee guys, Brian's only one of them. Brian only has a certain amount of voting power with this stuff, especially with some of the restructuring that's going on. But you know they they preach about being multi sport kid. That's what he is. He excels. Go throw on his basketball clips. They're unbelievable. Um, he has great tra- track times. I think it's eleven. It's in the very very low elevens um, in the one hundred. He has legit size. You see the kid in person. He's a legit six three. Um, you know typically when you see a kid on paper listed six three, you see them. They're like six one. He's a legit six three. Probably should be putting out there that he's six five. Uh, he, he could pass for that sometimes. Uh, you know, plays well at the Shrine Bowl. You know, had two big catches there. I mean, I could just go on and on and on um, about this kid. Um, but uh, I think that um, he has all the talent, all, all the potential in the world to be a great player for North Carolina.
2: He is in the book, Letter of Intent in for Chris Culliver. Still waiting on a few letters to come in. Jordan Louis set to commit on. You got his Instagram up?
3: I'm trying. I was trying to find it while he's talking. So here I got it. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna
0: put it. Should I
2: put it in the chat, people? Certainly can. Okay. And while we're waiting
0: on on Louis's announcement, um, Victor Little is in uh, Italy. Said he's on military. He's on duty military wise. So yeah, we'll just ne- a. Um, we'll
3: never be able to get broadcast from there
0: for, for sure not but want to say uh thank you for your your service uh it is december 21st so there's a lot of service men and women around the country um who are away from their homes on christmas and so i think it's important for all of us to say thank you and to appreciate those efforts it's uh means a lot to all of us
2: yeah pushing up well actually 10.04 so mm-hmm. we are in extra time if you're a soccer time soccer fan we are in uh Overtime, if you're a football fan. Go
0: look at some of the videos. They're doing all the Argentina celebrations today. Uh, Lionel Messi could not get into his own house because the road was just full of people.
2: It is incredible. I, I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I watched uh, that. I watched the World Cup religiously when it was on. That was the greatest championship game I've ever seen in really? any sport, in my opinion, um, how that went down. I did
3: not watch it because of Sunday. Sunday. And I was just so like, you, something. so
2: you watched the Vikings and the Ravens.
3: I did not know. I well, so I put on the Vikings game, that was Saturday. I put on the Vikings and Colts game and turned it off when it was 33 nothing, and then got the alert that the Vikings won in overtime. <laughs> I was like, what the hell happened?
0: Don, my kid is a, a big fantasy football guy, and so he's got Kirk Cousins and, and Jefferson from Minnesota. So that's the only reason he was watching the game, <laughs> and so he was going to. Going nuts about that. Uh, this is your favorite question, so I have to be sure to oh ask boy. it. Uh comparisons for culver. uh
3: man, that's a tough one. Um
2: player comp, player comp. When
3: yeah, dead. yeah, yeah. Some of these are easier than others. I you know, I really struggle to think of someone. Oh uh, man. Yeah, it's really it's really tough for me. I don't like this comp, but it's the one I think about maybe um, Deami Brown. Um, I don't like it too much, um, so don't like um, – that's the first one that kind of pops in my mind. One of my problems with p- player comps is I have like the worst memory ever. So like anything beyond the last couple of years, I, you know, I, I barely remember. But I do have um, Jordan Louis announcement on. I put the link to it in the chat. So he's actually speaking right now. Do what? Do we want to continue to talk and see what? So he has a UNC hat, a Georgia Tech hat, and a West Virginia hat on the table. And um, he's talking. So we're we
2: gonna play by play, or they can watch. I don't know. 455 people in the YouTube chat. Um, three hours and six minutes in waiting for Jordan Louie to announce his commitment.
3: How much longer after this do we want to go? Yeah. So,
2: so let's talk about that and we can talk about it with our, with our
3: 500 with friends. our family. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, our family today,
2: the plan was to get out of here at 10 o'clock. Uh-huh. Obviously we want to cover, see what Louie does. All right,
3: he's standing up. All right.
2: Let's see Don's play by play skills. folks.
3: He grabs something. That's not a hat. Looks at it. He throws it to the side. I'm not sure what that was. He grabbed, oh, I guess it's a shirt. Or no, it's gloves. So he tossed the gloves. He's standing up. So oh, grabs the.
2: This is made for TV, folks. Made
3: Georgia Tech. I didn't think Georgia Tech was one of the. He throws. He'd... Puts a Georgia Tech hat on and puts it down. Greg, what do you
2: think about Don's play-by-play skills? Uh, grabs I mean, the West
3: Virginia hat, puts it down nicely. And he's taking off his hoodie. He has a West Virginia shirt on.
2: Mom hadn't taken her hoodie off. Yeah, yet.
3: that's what you got. We got to watch for the parents. <laughs> Although Chris Culver didn't have his parents in on his, Chris Christian oh, Hamilton. That. that was funny. <laughs>
2: So we've got, uh,
3: and then he's taken the West Virginia shirt off, and it looked like there was a blue. No, nope, it was white. I thought it was might be Carolina blue. Grabs a UNC
2: hat. Come on, Don. I need more flowery, more flowery stuff.
3: No, he took the UNC hat down. So he's going. To, oh, he's reaching for something. This is like the longest sort of like structure we've seen.
2: Did you not tell him that we had. It?
3: Oh, he's putting on a UNC shirt and someone threw him a UNC hat. He's putting it on and he just committed to North Carolina.
2: Just committed to the university <laughs> of North Carolina. So, so let's talk about Jordan Louie. I've got him up on the screen already. Look okay. at there. I, I was prepared.
3: <laughs>
2: it's uh, first time for everything. Running back room at North Carolina is stacked. Yes um may look a little different after the portal windows open and close mm-hmm. and there's another one um after spring practice but mm-hmm. where does louis fit what does he bring to the north carolina team you know what does he do differently that maybe one of the six guys in front of him at the moment don't do or, or just give me some feedback yeah from?
3: so i gotta say that yeah, you know, they flirted with the idea of taking a running back in the spring specifically jordan louis so this is not a kid that that just kind of fell on their lap. There's a kid that they knew about and liked a lot. Um, but I still was surprised they took a running back in this class just because of the depth and how young that depth is. And, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it doesn't seem like anybody's looking to get out. I mean, maybe, maybe after the bowl game we see some um, departures, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case right now. Um, as far as what he brings, um, he probably brings a little bit more – you know, he, a better balance, I guess, between the, the 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 power and the elusiveness. I mean, you got what six guys in that room. I mean, so so there's everything there imaginable. So I don't know if he brings a whole lot that's different that that what isn't already in there. I just think he fits um, exactly what North Carolina has had success with as far as being a balanced running back.
0: It is a massive room, considering they typically only play one guy. Yeah. A statement i had Tommy. okay
3: i thought it was a question following <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean
2: clearly a lot of elijah green got some time he yeah. was down on the depth chart um you know allegedly at the bottom of the depth chart coming into the season was hurt um ended up being i mean he looked really good at yeah. that times late in the season um, dj jones is a guy that you know he's the old head in the room you got hampton you got Petaway. You got Caleb Hood. Uh, you know, I think when, when you have Caleb Hood, great kid, great player, you got to be available. And he mm-hmm. certainly struggled on the injury front. So I'm not sure how much you can count on him, but, you know, it was surprising to me. Is there somebody else in?
3: It was Jordan Louis. So we don't really need to change paths at all. So, I, I so can, his letter's in.
2: So his letter's in. So I can update it from committed to the letter is in. But yeah, I mean, it's credit to a guy that wants to to jump in yeah. a room like that. And uh, like I said, we'll see what it looks like when when it all shakes out. But here we are at you 10-11 know, on December 21st, and they've got a running back recruit that I think you would agree, Don, that a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, wasn't even a fault yeah. to, to get into that room.
3: Well, running back definitely wasn't a need, but clearly he was a guy that Larry Porter really, really liked. And so, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know how much more we can say about it.
0: I just find it strange. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got projected right now to have seven guys on scholarship in the running back room and projected right now to have ten guys in the wide receiver room on scholarship. Yeah.
3: I mean so the assumption I mean the staff has gotta feel like I would assume that some of these running backs are going to leave right i mean that's the only thing i think of but seven seven is a ton right and you can get by with easily with four
0: correct and just so people know the the transfer portal this time is open for 45 days so i believe that takes us through january 18th yeah and then there's also a 15-day period after spring practice which is may 1st to may 15th so there's there's still plenty of time for those kinds of decisions to be made. Uh, not that we're suggesting anybody needs to leave, but just in terms of scholarship count, that's uh, that was an interesting take uh, with Louie, Although you obviously wouldn't take him unless you really liked him. So. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. So we're, how how much longer? Let's see. We probably need to be down by ten thirty so we can. Okay.
2: So, right. obviously, a lot more news to come in, a few more letters to come in. We're probably going to get out of here no later than 1030. Shout out to everybody that's been in here for hours on end. Um, just as a, Yeah,
3: why don't we, in the chat, put in if, if you've been in here since uh, 7 a.m. I think us- most
2: people have or close to it. But what we're going to do, just for planning purposes for you guys that are in here, or maybe got here late, is um, we're going to put this in the podcast feed. Uh, may to be relevant for a while. It's going to be the longest podcast ever. Maybe you do it time and a half or even two times the speed to cut down on the time, but a lot of good content from Don Callahan and Greg Barnes here. Um, After we finish, Don might not know it, but Greg Barnes and I are going to record a segment for Next Level with Don Callahan to go up. Obviously, um, Next Level is our YouTube show that Greg and I have done. Greg drives the ship and I'm a part of it where we've had a more in-depth discussions about all things Carolina sports-related, and I've had some great guests. Don will be another in a long line of solid guests. So, got to bring it, Don. You got to bring it a little more than you have um, here on this show for the next level. It's okay. a different level, right? It's next so it's level. The next level. And then, uh, Carolina basketball. Well, Mac Brown at noon. Uh, Ross Martin and myself will cover the press conference at noon, where Mac details the signees and usually goes through some film. He? he? He breaks down film on them. And then Carolina and Michigan in basketball tonight at seven o'clock. I'll be back in front of you on the YouTube channel doing um, with Dewey Burke a little bit later though, not not immediately after the game, a little bit later um, to discuss North Carolina and Michigan. What else we got? Who who are we still left with, Don? I, I'll let you. I'll put it out there for you on that. So
3: we have um, sixteen letters in, which means we're short four. I'm trying to figure that out in my head. I know um, Trey Miller is one of them. Now he's in a different time, he's the only guy in a different time zone. So I'm sure that's a factor. Ed Hudson. Ed Hudson. okay, that's another good one. Um, let's see. Let's see, um, Paul Billups, has three. And then, God, who else? Caleb Lavallee, who's teammates with um, Aiden Duncanson, so you would think that those two would sign at the same time, but sometimes I guess that's not the case. Did you have something, Greg, that you want
0: to get into? I do have some some pressing content to Uh-oh. get into. Uh, I, I feel my inner Ross Martin channeling oh. to the surface here before we <laughs> we get off. Um, how many bow rounds have you had this morning? You've been eating bow rounds for two hours, I think.
3: Well, it takes me a Little bit long time to eat one a single boat round. So it might seem like more Explain than the really... process for eating the
0: boat. Round. <laughs> so,
3: well, it's different in front of the camera because I don't want the crumbs falling at all, and I'm like, I'm such a sloppy eater. i'm I'm so happy that we can get something too messy. So uh, I mean, I, I've had a good amount of boat rounds. I've been trying to share them with Greg. I don't want them to get cold. They're not good cold, and they are starting to get cold now. Um, Greg, I have offered bow rounds to Greg multiple times and he has declined my advances each time. So part of this is Greg's fault. We're getting close
0: to a lunchtime, so I may, (laughs) may grab one on the way out. Uh, Don, you've, you've been on the, the recruiting trail for a long time. Uh, 2022 is 10 days away from wrapping up. Do you have a favorite meal? from the recruiting trail this year?
3: Oh man. So I used to, actually this is probably before the pandemic. I used to get um, recommendations for when I was doing different stops. Ultimately though, I'm trying to get home as quickly as possible. So I just end up just grabbing fast food on my way home. But I mean, I I do. um, God, I'm not gonna remember any names, but there's, if I do have time, I try to hit up some um, hole in the wall, barbecue places. I think you recommended a place in, um, Gastonia once.
0: Black's barbecue.
3: That's right. So I've been that that was very good. Michelle recommended a place. I believe in um Kernersville. That was really good. Um, I li- so I like hitting up those sort of places. um but I, I can't think of any names off the top of my head,
0: yeah, there's a lot of good barbecue spots along the eighty five corridor. yeah you know, Bridges is excellent in mm-hmm. Shelby. Chris Lang hangs out there quite a bit. <laughs> uh Lexington barbecue of course is a classic uh I'm not going to get into the down east barbecue options I'm, I'm not as familiar and I know that's uh rarefied uh, protected air uh that's more Tommy Ashley area at least Smithfield for sure
2: yeah I uh yeah we can have that debate later I'm not a I'm not a food aficionado though if it's good I'll eat it yeah well, I I tell you. where it came from I try to avoid bojangles but i didn't have that opportunity today um just because the old stomach's not as good we need as to get it for us. like if
3: anyone's <laughs> out there that has sponsorship capabilities we need to get next year some sort of food sponsor
2: we need a live audience <laughs> live we audience. need to move this set up to that window open the windows and have a party yeah, out there that'd be um... kind of like the pope does you know stands above <laughs> everybody and you could you could stand out maybe there we can auction later. auction
3: off seats <laughs>
2: <laughs> Always looking to make money. I that's just want right. to have people. Look, we're going to get out of
1: here.
2: Uh-oh. I need my sound. Don Paul Billups yes. is now in the hopper. Uh, another guy that's been committed for a little bit. Break it down for us.
3: So he not only is from the 757 area, which is where Dre Bly is from. He's actually from Dre Bly's old high school. Uh, this is a kid who um, is being recruited as wide receiver but at the high school level, I mean, he's he's a typical seven-five-seven athlete where he played both sides of the ball, and you almost kind of scratch your head wondering which side is better. Good, good length, good, um, good frame, um, very strong hands, good anticipation. Just one of those backyard players who just plays football. You know, throw him out there, give him an idea of what he's supposed to do, and he's going to make plays, and that's what he did for. Western Branch, um, they didn't do a good job of keeping track of their stats, but I watched a lot of his highlights, and it just seems like, you know, whether it's at punt returner, kick returner, you know, uh, safety, cornerback, wide receiver, running back, quarterback. I mean, it just seemed like he was just constantly making plays throughout the his senior and, and junior seasons. I mean, he's a player. Um, you're just a raw athlete, and, um, you know, R- Lonnie Galloway, UNC's wide receivers coach, is going to get the first shot of kind of molding him into wide receiver. But we've seen guys from the seven five seven area, Daz Newsom's first one that comes to mind, come in as a specific position, and then excel at another one. And 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 Paul has certainly has that capabilities.
2: Yeah, I mean, they continue to stack skill players, Mm -hmm. and 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 that's what gets the flash, what gets everything. Um, So Paul Billups adds to that, another tall, long guy. you know, Lonnie Galloway's has success and and we'll see how Drake Mays uh, last season at North Carolina goes with those guys with Josh Downs. You know what, if I can interrupt you real quick. You can, it's your house (laughs) only because it's your house.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny to me that everyone just, it's like, just accepted as fact that this is Drake Mays last year. You know, I get it. I understand, you know, what he's done and all that sort of stuff, but I don't know. It's just funny to me that just it's just accepted. That's just, it's going to be his last year, and that's it.
2: Because, I, I, I mean, he's going to make a lot of money. I, I, he could have made a lot of money this year, and he's going to make a lot of money at North Carolina. But it's different for basketball and football, I mm-hmm. think. You know? With football, you've got a, there's well, we've a seen more time.
3: We've seen more basketball guys go early
2: than football guys. But now with NIL. hmm you know, I, I don't think there's any debate that Armando Baycock, Caleb Love, and those guys would probably not be there yeah. but for NIL. Yeah. But with football, um, and, and especially a quarterback, and especially you're talking about a top five pick, um, I would drive him to the draft if I were Martin I, Ray, And I get that. I, I get, that. I get
3: that. But it's just like, it's just, you know, I don't know. I guess I just think about certain things like Sam Howell, before his last season, everyone was talking first round draft pick and he drops to what was it fifth or sixth
2: that's why you get out when you can well yeah now, he, so he had to stay that last year
3: but he had another year of eligibility but anyway but but i mean the the even coming out of the season there was still talk about him being one of the top quarterbacks coming off the board i don't know i just feel like there's i i think the world of drake may if anyone's ever heard me talk about drake may i think unbelievable player way back in high school I've i've always sung his praises not to level Chris Culver, but very close to it. Um, I just know that there are a lot of variables involved in these things that can knock um, plans off of the tracks, especially when we're projecting over a year
2: out. That's that's all. I agree with you. I, I, we will say, assuming things continue as okay. they okay. are, okay. with the caveat that life happens, the world yeah. happens, and all that. I think it's about time for us to get out of here. Okay. We agree. It's been the Inside Carolina signing day special. Uh, Look, you guys have been great. 400, 500-plus people in here for three hours to listen to Don Callahan, Greg Barnes, and myself discuss North Carolina's uh, recruiting class. There's a ton more to talk about. you got some more letters of intent to come in. There's transfer portal guys that have come in. Um, Stick with Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com's uh, tar pit premium message board for all of don callahan's work all of the staffs were ben sherman ross martin everybody piling in on recruiting and signing day you'll get some text you'll get some more commitments we'll be doing more podcasts but it's done for the day so many thanks to everybody for joining us take care and everybody be safe and happy holidays
3: happy holidays merry christmas